Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face episode 94. Matt is back. I am. Glad to have you back, buddy. He found me. <laughs> he finally returned. I was worried he might not. Uh, and he came back just in time. We have tons of topics today. I think are going to generate a really good show. I've been playing the crap out of Splatoon 2. Uh, people make fun of me for how I say Splatoon, by the way. Yeah, because it's Splatoon. But when you say Splat, that's how you say the word. But it's a pun on Platoon. Okay. So it's I think we're both right. <laughs> anyway, I've been playing the crap out of it. I'm going to talk about what I'm allowed to talk about today. And I'm going to talk about Final Fantasy XII, the Zodiac Age, the remaster. I've been playing that. Uh, and not Splatoon 2. <laughs> Splatoon 2. <laughs> uh, and it's that time again. It seems like once every year there's a big uproar over video game reviews. It's happened again this week. I'm going to talk about it. Let's go! Greetings, everyone. Hopefully the dog days of summer aren't getting you down too much. Uh, this is the first... Actually, while you were gone, it was perfect timing for you to leave because, like, nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> we really... I don't know if you watched the episode, but we, we yeah, really had to cobble together, like, topics for the last two weeks. Well, it was fun to watch uh, 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 Brendan because... Uh, uh, it was nice, just nice to see him keeping up the fight against the mediocrity of Ma Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, yeah. Against yeah, you. you had an ally. It was like you never left. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, Brent was the one who talked oh, Brent, about that, not right. Brandon. Yeah. So you do have an ally in Brent well, on that topic. Uh, well, they changed everything. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, so here we are. It's Friday. Hopefully, you guys are gearing up for your weekends. I know some of you maybe are already into your weekends. Yeah. Holy cow, that's loud. I don't know. Like they changed, they changed the the Twitch app. I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing. You're watching an ad that we won't get paid for. Yeah, now I'm watching me. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So uh, I feel like we have a really good show for you guys today. Lots of topics. Uh, like I said, I've been playing the living crap out of Splatoon 2 for the last I don't know about five or six days. Uh, really, as usual with Nintendo, really stringent uh, regulations on what I can and can't say. Yeah, I didn't even know anybody had it. Yeah. No one's talking about it. Yeah, you, well, you can't. Because you we're, can't talk about it. Well, you were allowed to put up single-player campaign previews a couple days ago, and uh, we launched a brand-new show on Sifted called Playview, where we mix kind of traditional video previews with Let's Plays. Uh, so we have, like, segments inside there where there's just raw gameplay with commentary. Uh, so kind of a nice mix of old and new as far as how people do preview content. Mm -hmm. um, and so that went up on Embargo Day with a bunch of other people who did previews for it. But otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been completely mum. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, let's get to the show proper. So, Matt, you've been gone, but that hasn't kept you from playing a game. No. No, not, not when I get back, anyway. Yep. I did play... Because I, I, I got a PlayStation 4 up north... Uh, with a limited, you know, whatever. I that just sits there. It just sits there pretty much. Um, I think my niece uses it sometimes. But uh -huh. um, I played through Darksiders Warmastered Edition. Oh, wow. Out of basically nothing That's a pretty big do. game. Yeah, well, I've played that game a couple times. And it's like, I don't really like that game all that much. I find it kind of <laughs> mediocre but charming. It's like one of those, it was one of those like kind of comfort foodie games. So I played through that again. I liked it. I enjoyed it. Well, it was Zelda. It's a Zelda it's a clone. Total Zelda clone. Although yeah. the Steam categorizes it as a Metroidvania, uh, which is not that makes at no all sense true. whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's kind of like a decently. Now it's like what five bucks or something on Steam. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, it was it was on my mind because the Dark Siders three being announced, and right. uh, so I just did that. But when I got back uh, after uh, Amazon finally figured out how to get into my building. Because <laughs> uh, their delivery service is terrible at that, they got they, I got uh, Final Fantasy XII. Been playing that for a couple days. 
What do you think the reviews for this have been sky high? Yeah, well, it's a look. I mean, it's my second favorite game in the series, and it's yeah. probably one of two games in the series I would say I like without reservation. Like everything else, I'm kind of like, mm, yeah. But Is that six, because it's, six it's, and it's so 12. different? Somewhat, but it's also because I love Ivalice, yeah. uh, the, the world it takes place yeah, yeah. that comes from Final Fantasy Tactics and that, yeah. and that team. Because there really is no other game in the series like Final Fantasy XII. No, although you can see Final Fantasy XV is kind of... You know, Shades you, of it. you can see where they started there and ended up somewhere terrible. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's also probably why I like Zen the Xenoblade games, because they have very similar combat systems. Yeah. Um, but uh, The Gambit system, obviously. Yeah, the Gambit like... system is very interesting. You can set up... And like the other thing I think people like about Twelve is that if, it's, if you play your cards right you can essentially break it. Yeah. Like, you, certain job combinations are essentially gods. Um, you know, certain team combinations can, you know, and, like, you know, there's various exploits you can do to, like, get, like, powerful weapons early. And uh, it's, 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 like, kind of lets you play how you want to play a little bit. And, uh, and I think a lot of people dig that. I think, you know, the story is essentially a retelling of Star Wars in a lot of ways. Uh, right Which a lot of games are. Yeah, but this one is a little more, you know, you got the blonde-haired young kid, and you got the, 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 the talented rogue with the tall animalistic sidekick, right, yeah. and the, the princess who's secretly not a princess. It's a little more blatant than others, yeah. And then there's the judge with the armor and the you know, the deep voice. and so, Hell, the bounty hunter that's after the, you know, the uh, was it, Balthier, um, is even colored like Boba Fett. He's, he's like green and orange wow. and, and yellow. Like, so... This, clearly, they knew, and and, and when uh, the the judge, you know, the big judge uh, Galbraith, I think his name is, uh, walks in the first time, they're basically playing the Imperial March sideways. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's you're all right. there. Yep. So I like that, even though the the story does disappear for like the middle third of the game, like because yeah. like once the the kind of everything starts up, you get the party of six together, and you're kind of kicked out into the world. Uh, it forgets to tell you a story until you get through enough stuff that you then you kind of hit the final confrontation. So that's that's the main I think flaw. But I like playing the, the game and messing with the gambits and, and killing stuff uh, so much that I didn't really mind that the story went away. Um, but like this, so this one like is the Zodiac Age, which is like based I believe on the International Edition that was uh, had a bunch of improvements and changes that we didn't get. Right. Like I, so I haven't played this game since it came out on PS2. Um, what year was that? Uh, I want to say that was like 2007. I think that's right. Because I was thinking eight for some reason. Seven or well, because I remember. I honestly do not remember. I, I think it was, it was definitely after we were in the new building, the E building. Yeah. Uh, when we moved the show, because I remember uh, Mike Benson cut the review and started it. With um, you know the opening scene with the birds flying and the and the Final Fantasy like kind of title theme yeah. playing and like had I think Adam's the VO was something like I you know what I kind of missed that music it was because it had been a long time because you know Final Fantasy XI was an MMO it didn't really we didn't really count like, like Final Fantasy X was like almost a decade earlier so yeah. like we you know it'd been a long time since a proper final fantasy someone argued isn't that not. a pretty common thing at this point <laughs> i guess now it is but back then they would it pumped them out yeah, right. we got we yeah. three full-fledged final fantasies on the ps1 yeah and like um <coughs> i'm developing a cough so i apologize <laughs> apologize for all that that's going to happen today um but uh, I remember watching, for whatever reason, I remember watching that video for like, you know, like we, we watch them down from edit to make sure everything was okay. I remember watching it through the patch, like in that building. Right. So that's one of my early memories of that building. So I think it was 2007, but I'm sure, you know, somebody could just look that up. Yeah. 
now my thing is going to now sleep. Now someone else is saying 2006, 2006 with a question mark. That's Benson, so if he, oh. he's the one who cut that. so He would know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, but I always liked it. I played through it, but the, my main thing with that was I never played it again because, oh my God, that game is long. It's huge, it, 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 yeah. I mean, it was, it, I think on PS2 it took me like 130-some hours. Yeah, I but, mean, you can get way more out of it than that even. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, all the, like, the, the hard-level hunts and, like, the secret yeah. stuff, I'll be for sure. But, um, and they had, like, weird little things, like the Zodiac Spear, where you had to not open specific chests until, like, way into the game. And it's yeah. just like, who, who does that? Yeah. Come on. Who That's gone that? in this, by the way. Oh, like, it is. Like, that is not how you get the Zodiac Spear in this one. Um, but the big, for me, I mean, the big uh, change, the quality of life change in this is you can speed the game up at will. Yeah. So you can double or quadruple like, the speed. I thought there was like four different speeds. I only settings. saw 2X and oh, okay. 4X. Um, but you you hit the L1 button, and it, it activates the speed thing. And basically, I mean, you, it looks ridiculous. Cause yeah, it, it does. It's, it's like fast forward it. Yeah. But, um, man, when you got to cross like four of these stupid open world screens, and, like it would have taken you like, you know, five minutes, and now it takes you like one. Yeah awesome yeah that makes like, a big just, difference there's so much particularly with a game that long yeah well, in the combat system the way it works it's like you don't really need to sit and watch every right. strike like once you hit the point where like you know what you're doing with a certain area's enemies you don't need and you can even set gambits up where you don't even need to do anything basically yeah. i mean i played the last 50 hours of persona 5 that way basically mm-hmm. just fast forwarding through once you got so op that it, you could just take out pretty much any enemy and every once in a while, it would burn you really bad. Yeah, but that's part of it. <laughs> and also, it uh, this one auto-saves every time you zone to a new area. Oh, okay. So, um, even if you totally screw up or get hosed by something, uh, you just go back to the title screen and load the last auto-save, and it'll put you right back where the last area you entered. Um, which is great, because then it gives you kind of the... the uh, the encouragement to experiment. Because like, there's a lot of points, like, especially early on when you don't have Libra yet, you're like... You don't know how powerful a lot of the enemies are. So you're like, right. I don't know, maybe I can... I mean, I, I, this T-Rex is the size of a house, but I still feel like I want to poke it with my knife. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> so now you can do that, and you know, generally he will just kill, one-shot you. Um, right. Most of these guys will do a lot of damage, and you know, you, you lose, and you come back, and it's fine. Right. You know, it's, like, it, it's, uh, it's much less frustrating and much, le- much more, I guess, respectful of your time. It sounds like it's been modernized in pretty much every conceivable way. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, it it definitely look and it doesn't look great. I don't think, you know, it is just a remaster. I mean, Um, you're looking at the footage right here. I mean, it looks a lot better. It looks absolutely looks better. And they fixed... But by uh, modern standards, it's still... They fixed Vaughn's, like, weird abs. Yeah. I I saw at least, like, one article. I I don't remember. Maybe it was that. Was that on Kotaku or somebody? It was somebody, like, that was was the actual headline. was like... Said like Final Fantasy XII Remaster fixes Vaughn's weird abs, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm I'm enjoying. It. I mean, I'm not super far into it because I mean it's a slow burn to some degree, especially if you have you know when you early on in the game when you first get Pinello, there's a whole bunch of weird little grindy things and like qu- you know hunt quests you can do before you lose her again because after you finish that part, basically you're on you're on the highway to to you know through a bunch of story stuff for a couple hours. Um, so I did a lot of that. Now I'm like I'm like almost done gathering all six of the party members, so, which is when kind of the game begins in earnest. 
Um, but it's a lot of fun. I admit, I don't know if I'd be playing it still if it didn't have the speed up function. The yeah. speed up function really. I mean, there are certain elements of games. a huge quality of life yeah. improvement. I mean, there are certain elements of games that where they've been improved over time that are now like total deal breakers. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them. I mean, that's one of the big reasons I don't play a lot of retro games anymore. One is I just don't have the time to. Uh, but two is like when I start thinking about it, you start thinking about a lot of the contrivances that were in games when mm-hmm. they were still kind of figuring stuff out. It's just not something that I particularly want to deal with anymore. Uh, and it's so good that this remaster hasn't just addressed the graphics. It's actually went back and kind of looked at a lot of those systems and said, hey, this isn't really going to fly in 2017. Mm-hmm. And they went back and kind of tweaked or fixed them. Um, on the scale of remasters, where would you kind of put this one? Um, I'd put it kind of in the high end, you know, kind yeah. of like the 7 or 8 out of 10 range in terms of remake because like the the graphics aren't like an amazing revelation it's not it's not and it's like you know it's not a remake like the crash games right were on the insanity where they rebuild where everything, it's like yeah. you look at that and you're like wow like they rebuilt this whole thing from the ground up this is yeah. just, this i think i'm pretty sure this is just same assets higher res textures more polygons in places so that's not the great thing but do you think, I think they did some remodeling on some stuff a little bit like they definitely would have had to on the faces because the faces just weren't detailed enough in the playstation 2 version yeah, to yeah. sustain a close-up and i mean they still look kind of weird in the close-ups but they look better than they would have um and so but i, I mean think, these textures look pretty good man i don't know if i it, i think they may have retextured some stuff i think they retextured for sure they retextured stuff but but also remember the texture they uh was I think it was uh this was one wasn't this one of the games that like it supported like better textures or something if you or what am i thinking of uh, vagrant story I'm thinking of Vagrant Story. I, can, I know the feature that you're talking about, but I can't remember which game it's actually used. I want to say, I totally if, forgot I about say that you, feature, by the way. Yeah, I want to say if you put this in <laughs> texture smoothing, a, yeah. right? Is that what they call yeah, it? I want to say if you put this in a PS3, it looked a little better. Yeah, they did something with that. But I mean, uh, Vagrant Story on PS1 did the same thing on PS2, where you could put that backwards compatible and it made it look better, um, noticeably better, uh, which was also by the same team and also took place in Italy's. Um, one of the first, like, big, you know, outside of Final Fantasy Tactics, I think that was one of the first, like, things where, like, oh, we can set other games in this right. thing. Because yeah. there's also a very similar uh, aesthetic to that game where everybody refuses to cover their midsection. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I th- you know, I think that, you know, a lot of the changes for, like, Western audiences are going to be changes that are already in the Zodiac Age, the International Edition thing. Uh, so I don't know if I don't want to give that credit to those the remaster, but like in right. terms of just what they added to make it easier and better to play in 2017, they did a really good job, and they weren't afraid to, you know, look into what the community that is still around this game was doing because like everybody who plays this game live stream uses emulator speed hacks right. basically, you know, to make it not take to forever. do what it does now. And uh, <laughs> I mean, there's people I can't do it, but there are people who can play it at that speed. Oh really? You know, like not I, and I don't mean like just you know running through trash mobs. I right. mean like I. You know, they fight. They play the whole game like that, and I'm a, wow. I'm trying to play it at 4x. I'm just like, I can't talk to the merch, can't hit the merch. <laughs> where's the merch? So that's a very much an acquired practice skill those guys have. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's it's a lot of fun, and and like I know this is not you know this is kind of one of those those Final Fantasies that like ev- not everybody agrees on. Like there's some people that think it kind of isn't a Final Fantasy because it plays so different and like which I think like is a hard thing to defend now after 13 Yeah, that and sounds crazy, yeah. Like but at the time this was like a, you know this was a ridiculously crazy I mean, departure. There's, there's still no other like I said there's no other game in the series that plays like yeah, it. Yeah. But still. I mean you got to remember like we'd gone from 7 8 9 10 10 2 right if you must. Yeah. And then an MMO 
to this. Yeah. And, like, there were people that were like, oh, my God, like, the MMO got into the main right, series right. and it's never going to be the same again. People were probably also a little bit afraid that it was going to send the series down a path that they yeah. weren't particularly interested in. Yeah. And a lot of times when that happens, people lash out. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and like, it I works could... sometimes because if you raise a big enough ruckus with a publisher and say, I don't like this, sometimes the publisher actually listens and doesn't sort of continue down that path. Yeah, and sometimes they give us lightning. Yeah, you're... <laughs> For 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, but, but um, you know what? There's a lot of people that love him too. I mean, her, her. Yeah, sorry, but I mean, there's a, well, I think you could understand where that Freudian slip came from. Well, she is pretty much just cloud with different hair, right? Yeah. Well, plus it's like you know, a lot of the characters in Final Fantasy are kind of androgynous anyway. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, t- particularly in the later years of the series. But yeah. uh, well, that's why Vaughn's in the game, right? Because they just you know originally it was just all like I think Balthier and Fr- and Fran were the main characters and. Focus testing or whatever their marketing department was like, no, it needs a pretty pretty sixteen year old boy. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's 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 the bread and butter at this point. Now, how much is this selling for? Uh, is it full 50. price? Fifty. So ten bucks mm-hmm. less. Yeah, that seems right. That's a lot of game. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, you, I mean literally, you could probably play this game for around three hundred hours. Yeah, if you really wanted. Certainly, to if you it. wanted a platinum, yeah, you could, you could you could get a lot of time out of it. And uh, and it's and it's it, the summer. There's nothing else to play. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a good uh, it's a good space filler until the big stuff starts coming out in August. It's a good time killer. Yeah. I mean, you got 300 hours. You may not even finish it by the time the summer's over. Yeah. <laughs> if you go out and actually do anything else, so. And it's I just like that it's not this. You know, there's a lot of Final Fantasy elements in it, obviously, but it doesn't look like the same damn world. Like, yeah. Shuffled it, again. It does you have know? its own unique look. It's got the. I love Ivalice. I love. I I think that's a great world and it's too bad they don't use it anymore because there's some kind of schism internally between the main final fantasy team and these guys or something i don't know it, it, stories conflict but uh whatever whatever the case the people that made this game are not making these anymore who would you recommend this for um anyone who liked your old game so you recommend game, that people buy this and replay it for sure uh anyone who wants anyone who likes the xenoblade games and never played this uh i think you'll find something to like here although there's no mechs yeah uh, it's not quite. It's not quite as like crazy anime as uh, Xenoblade get, especially X. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot to like here if you like that real time kind of battle system. And um, I would say anyone who played the first, the the original release and bounced off it because it was so long and grindy. Right. Uh, the speed options in this really make it a different game. What about noobs? People who have been playing Persona Five and all the current recent RPGs, do you think they're going to get into it? Does Maybe. it feel like a dinosaur in any way? I think it, the, the way it feels like a dinosaur to me is how uh, empty it can feel once the story setup's done. Like, empty in what way? In terms of like, there's no narrative to okay. keep pulling you through it. I thought you were know? talking about the world because no. <laughs> looking at the uh, at some of the worlds in this game, they are pretty empty. I mean, yeah. it is a PS2 game. And, it's a PS2 you know, game. It only from, can push so yeah, many polygons from 12 years ago or something. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so is that I mean, a problem? Do you think or no? Not really. No? I, I didn't find it a problem just because there's. It's there's stuff. It's combat happening constantly, so I never felt like it was too bad. Well, I think what we found um, too, even with I, modern I found games, I find the worlds about as empty as Final Fantasy 15. Right. That's what um, I was about to make my point. Is that like it seems like with the improvements in technology, the developers have kept a lot of the worlds just as empty and mm-hmm. just made them bigger. Yeah. Like I've always wondered what a game would look like that took place entirely indoors, and every environment was really small. And maybe if they even just loaded it, like, room by room, like, what would those rooms look like? How detailed? If it knew it didn't have to ever render, like, Mm -hmm. this massive open world, and it could spend every polygon 
on an individual room with the current hardware, just how good would that game look? Well, I mean, it probably looks something like the first half of Final Fantasy XIII, because that whole that first half of that game is just a long haul. Yeah. But, I mean, eventually that game goes outside. Yeah. So when you know, you never, ever have to go outside and render all that empty space, and you can spend every polygon on just de interior detail. I would, just, I would love to see a game do that, just to see what these consoles are really capable of in smaller environments. I think that would be an interesting experiment. And imagine, like, the trailers when you first show that. And, mm. you, and you're, like, in-engine gameplay, and people are looking at it like, no freaking way. And, of course, you can hide at least for a little bit the fact that you never actually go outside and it's all just an indoor game or whatever but i would love to see what uh what they could do with the current hardware in a more restricted mm -hmm. environment where you can just use everything for more detail i think more restrictions in general would be useful for this series yeah yeah like, for sure like just <laughs> like someone even if it's just someone sitting down saying you make this make it in four years i don't want to hear about it yeah like <laughs> I'll, I'll see you in September. Yeah, right. yeah. So uh, so you would recommend this to noobs, though? I think so. If you look at it and you think the, the world looks appealing or, like, you know, it doesn't make your eyes your eyes hurt, um, and you understand, like, the combat is kind of like this blend of blend of turn-based and real-time MMO style. Yeah. Um, and if, especially if you like customizing your characters or building your characters, because you've got a lot of freedom in how to build your characters in this game. Um Building them into basically game-breaking monsters, like, this is the game for you. Yeah. Uh, and, like, some people don't dig that. Some people want challenge, challenge, challenge. This is more of, like, a game that's there for you to exploit it if you want. And one thing I would say is you, the combat in this game, at least in the original, you do feel a little bit disconnected from the combat. Yeah. And even people maybe who just played Persona 5, Persona 5, even though it's completely turn-based... For whatever reason, the way the presentation works and the sound effects, like I felt more connected to the combat than the original version of this. Mm -hmm. um, so that is maybe one. Yeah. Well, it is a little MMOE, I, I guess. Yeah, I think that was it. like one of the big complaints at the time. Certainly, was like, you know, in in the standard Final Fantasy um, format, for lack of a better word, um, you know, every every fight is a discrete moment. You know, an event like break. You know, the screen breaks away. You have the yeah. fight. You come back. Or is this? It's like you're just you killed a wolf. Yeah. And I, you killed another wolf. <laughs> yeah. And you killed another wolf. And killed another. Wolf. And there's even a mechanic that rewards you for killing the same enemy over right. and over. The same type of enemy over and over. Is a chain thing that makes them drop fast. Better. Loot. Oh, better loot. Yeah. Um. And uh, so yeah, you're just killing wolf. Like there's no drama to the to the combat in the way that people are used to from the for the old games. I don't particularly miss that because it's like, you know, that was like ironically like the the this game's combat is faster and more immediate, whereas like it's the movement through the world that took forever. And now like with the the speed up option, none of that's really a problem. Um, I can see why people like you know, and every once in a while you'll beat like a big enemy. And it'll just cut to this random like screen where like they, they, everybody does a pose, they have and, to it says, the enemy. and it says congrats. No, when you win, like it, uh, every, it cuts away. State. Everybody does a does a pose. They play the Final Fantasy win theme. It says congratulations, and it just like rotates around them for like ten seconds. So you can't <laughs> skip it for like until the congratulations is done. I have a feeling that might uh, come in a in a DLC update or something. Yeah, I don't know what that. I mean, that was kind of one of the things I was hoping they'd fix. Was like, don't make me watch the congratulations screen. But I, at least I got I've gotten a couple. And I couldn't skip them for really really <laughs> come on um well like you said i think this is a nice kind of gap yeah. filler for the dog days of summer that we're in well, right now i also got they got uh, re-recorded orchestral music 
which is really nice. The game does. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, the game did come, at least mine did, came with a download code for the original music. Uh-huh. If you want to switch to the original, which is... And the original's uh, all MIDI, I'm guessing? No, it's 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 just digital. It's not orchestr- like recorded orchestral. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was a PS2. They could, you know, it was a CD. They could, it yeah. sounded fine. But uh, this is obviously, you know, unless you're going full nostalgia, which I am not, I prefer the the new the new version of the music. The other thing is, um, some of the voices are, I can only say they're badly recorded. Like I don't I don't remember the audio quality. Yeah, yeah, like I don't remember if the if this is the audio from the original game or not, or if they re-recorded it. I I don't I didn't look that up. But like Pinello's voice actress sounds like she's too close to the microphone. Oh wow! Like it's, so it's like, like overmodulated. Yeah, it's not even like a mixed thing. It's like like she talks and it sounds like. Hur, 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 hur. I'm just like I'm wow. like whoa, lady. Like, wow. Wait. Well, some of that stuff you can't go back and yeah, you can't go back and, and change like, that. It is like, what it is. But like I definitely, it definitely sounds like, and it sounds like they you know. Audio recording has come a long way in games. Oh since, yeah, since two thousand six. Well, just in general, it has. Uh, especially when it comes to you know, Square was not the most. Of, it don't attack the dinosaur. Like that's not going <laughs> to work for you. That's not going to be okay. Nope. That's no. Now you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, don't do that. Don't attack the T Rex. That's like basic. You know, it, it goes for life as well. Um, <laughs> So but their like, arms are so little. <laughs> they don't need them. That's why they're so little. Uh, the head's as big as you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of jarring, and the fact that like nobody's voice sounds like the 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 room they're in. You know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. you know, like you you add effects or mixing to make it yeah. sound like you're in like a sewer yeah. or an open and air. And that's not an excuse for this game. And that's though. not because tons of games were doing that. I yeah. mean, that happened on like the N64 when you drove <laughs> through a tunnel in Mario Kart mm-hmm. 64. Like, so there's, there's a no... bunch of moments where it's like it really sounds like people reading lines to each other yeah, in the studio. Right. Um, so that would be like one of the only real presentational flaws. But like I don't know. I don't remember. I can't remember what the old voices sounded like or if they added more to this. But like. I'm a little disappointed in the quality of the... Well, not, not the quality of the voice performances, but the, the quality recording. of the literal sound engineering. Gotcha. Which is an unusual complaint these days. It is. Really? It hardly ever happens anymore. Everyone's so good, and the equipment is so good and so cheap now. It's Everything's changed so yeah. much. It's like the amount of money that Square did paid to do that back in 2006 or whatever, compared to what they would have to pay for the actual tech to do it. Mm-hmm. Now voice actors probably get paid more. I would yeah. say that, well, as they maybe. should. Although probably not enough, obviously, yeah, well, by the, the strike, the strike about, and yeah. everything. So, all right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Evo 2017. That's happening this weekend, Matt. It's happening right now, and I can't see Wait, it. Wait, has it started? Yeah, pools oh. are today. Oh, uh, okay. I never really watch the pools. I wait till, uh, till I there's like, some... I watch the pools because that's where I watch Guilty Gear and King of Fighters and stuff like I that. I actually did not know that uh, it was going on today, or I would have yeah. curated it to the site. But as soon as we get um, done with the show, I'll make sure it's up for you guys. I mean, the pool, but... uh, there's some. I think King of Fighters finals is tonight. Okay. But most of the stuff... You know, semifinals, everything start tomorrow. Uh, Fridays just Fridays for like just crazy because you, you you know anything can get on the stream on Pools Day, yeah. so you just never quite. Sometimes it's just crazy fights between like really good people. Sometimes it's you know the rising stars that come out of nowhere. Like we have never heard of this guy, but he right. just beat like this you know, and like you know guys you think that are, are going to be you know big four. You know, Smug is already in losers in the Street Fighter Five tournament, which no one thought like Smug's one of the best players right now. He was fighting a pool player and he yeah. lost. Like you never know. You never know you who you're gonna run yeah. to. This is this is this is the great arena. This is yeah. Evo is where it all comes together. Everybody treks from around the world to play at this thing, and you never know who you're gonna run into. Yeah. And some people, you know, who knows? Maybe he lost to some guy who's never played outside of his home turf 
but came to this and like just you know you don't know what you're doing. Also, that but, is the thing that you're right. That's the thing about Evo is it's a pilgrimage. Yeah. Like there's a lot of people who you're who may have never gone to any local tournaments or at least never any official tournaments. Maybe mm. they're just playing in their. Maybe local they've never area. been to a Capcom tour tournament, right. but they play at their local like you know game store tournaments. Where all they the just time destroy everybody yeah. and they're known around the area yeah. as the best player. And, and finally, yeah. they save their money and they go to Vegas. And and sometimes there's a big fish small pond situation, but sometimes they're really that good. Right. You're absolutely right. So. And that's the exciting part is like you never know who's going to rise through those ranks. Usually it's the usual suspects, but every once in a while there's been a surprise. It's also fun right now to watch this because, you know, the, the, the big top players, the players that hit the grand finals, hit the top eight every time now in the Capcom tour uh, thing, they're not the same people that used to do that five years ago. You're right. You know, yeah. it's like a whole new generation of talent has come up and it's really exciting to see all, you know, you've got, you've got Smug, you've got Snake Eyes, um, you know, there's still some of the old usual suspects in there, but like there's, there's new people and they're exciting. Daigo and Justin straight. Wong, they're always Daigo and Justin Wong don't make the finals all that often anymore. No, but they usually make the final 32 or whatever. Yeah, they make they make semifinals. They're sure. there long enough to kind of get you into the tournament, yeah. and then it just it kind of takes a, a, a life of its own. I think Justin Wong is just crouched in the corner waiting for Marvel versus Capcom. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of those guys that's his will game. play three or four different games yeah. at these things. And so, I mean, that to me is crazy. Oh, yeah, I don't know. They're like I mean, the decathletes of Evo. Oh, yeah, they play all... I mean, Justin can play anything. I think I think Marvel's have been his favorite in general. I guess uh, triathlete's probably a better I comparison. wonder how that's going to shake out in Infinite now that all his characters are gone. Right, he's, yeah. He, he's, uh, well, he's... He'll probably fight to the, so that they never use Infinite. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people might fight so that they never use Infinite. Nope, nobody has... Uh, to say, I mean, Capcom's got too much money in that. Yeah, yeah. Too much skin in that game. Well, it's like two weeks ago, there was some uh, 13 or 14-year-old girl who just showed up at a Capcom Pro Tour event and won it. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, for the 15. She's 15. 15. And uh, that was like, it was, what was that? Rumble, Rumble something. Yeah, I saw that, and she 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 won. She it lost it. I love it. She was a, was a nail biter. But yeah, but I love the rea- her reaction when she won. It was just yeah. such pure, so pure. Like, yeah. and that, again, we've talked about about Evo before on Game Face, and that's what we love so much about it. A lot of it, a lot of the fun of it is just the community of it and being around all the people there who love it as as much as you do. Even in a lot of cases, a lot more than you do, and it's infectious. It, it gets mm-hmm. you into it, and it'll uh, it'll kind of change your perspective on esports in a lot of ways. And to be perfectly honest, you know, to speak to the graphic that's on the screen right now, like. For a lot of people, this—if you only watch one esports tournament this year, this is the one that you should watch. Yeah. Like, if you hate esports and you don't get it, um, I'm not a huge fan of esports. Like, I rarely watch esports tournaments. I respect people who do like it, um, I, and I get why they do. But this is the one tournament every year that I make a point to watch, and I will sit and watch hours and hours of it, particularly on Sunday. Well, when all the finals are going down and all the big matches and all the big guys who are left mm. over are going to the do check the schedule because uh, some of the big fi- a couple big finals are on Saturday this year. Smash Brothers probably Melee, on Saturday. Melee, I don't care about Smash Brothers, but Melee is the finals are on Saturday. Uh, I believe um, it's Guilty Gear. Couple probably a couple of them are on on Saturday. I was surprised that are on Saturday. Yeah, put it that way. Um, so don't 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 uh, sleep on the on the Saturday finals either because that also that, I mean those are some of the smaller games in terms of like viewership but that doesn't mean they're not they're not entertaining. Yeah, you won't be able to miss it. We'll have it. Uh, I pin- think Injustice is on uh, Saturday. Yeah, I don't know. I've, there's I, what three streams usually for Evo. There's usually three streams plus Capcom Fighters. Right. Um, like there's S R K Evo one two three and Capcom yeah. Fighters. Yeah, and you won't be able to miss it. We'll have all this stuff pinned to the top of everyone's sift this yeah. weekend. And most usually it's on the, all on the front page of Twitch anyway. Yeah. 
Um, so it'll be it'll be there. And well, then uh, the the Street Fighter Five Grand Finals uh, Sunday night will be also be on ESPN two. Right, which is crazy. Which they did that last year as well. Yeah, and it turned out pretty well. It was fun to see. Uh, my friends, uh, Seth Killian and Mike Ross and uh, Ryan Gutierrez, Gutex, all, all up there. I was, I, I told them back in the day, like keep, yeah, keep at it. They're gonna get there, and they did. What, great. what I really love is watching all the response from one people who watch it on ESPN who are mm-hmm. just want to watch Sports <coughs> Center, but two, like ESPN's talent. Right, because some of them end up getting like crazy salty. Remember last year, the yeah. guy Colin Cowherd like went off about yeah. it, about Heroes of the Dorm being on ESPN. That to me is the best part, as far yeah. as just kind of. Well, back the great there. thing like last year was that you know there was a tweet storm when it first started of like people going like what the what the hell is this on my ESPN? That's not sports. What the why, right. why am I watching? What is this on? Like, yeah, and like some of those people like an hour later like. All right, this this is pretty good. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like like, like a lot of people just like dismiss it. We're like, oh, fucking nerds. Da, da, da. Yeah. But there were some people that like dismissed it at first, and then they came back. They're like, this is pretty cool. Like there was some yeah. I, the converts were the ones that I loved from that. Well, that's the thing about Evo though, is because it's all fighting games. No matter who you are, you get fighting games. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people have played at least one fighting game in their life or Every, seen a kung fu movie. Right, right. You know? It's like so that's all it is. Everybody understands it's mono a mono. Yeah. They understand it's one that with, screen. Everything's there. They understand that within the game yeah. and outside the game with the people you that are in it. You can see both competitors in the same shot together, right. interacting with one another. I mean, that's the arcade advantage. One thing I would say about Evo last year that I hope they fix is there was some weird issues with the on-screen graphics as far as, like, knowing who each person mm-hmm. was and where what team they were playing for and which character they were. Like, it was hard sometimes to figure out who was who watching the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that this year they kind of iron out some of those kinks. Um, yeah, some of, I, I noticed, uh, at least in the Guilty Gear stream uh, I was watching before I came over here, uh, they've started an, a, night, a thing that I like where uh, if there's a mirror match uh, of the t- same character, after each player's name, they will put the color of the character they are. Oh, wow. Because that that's always been a thing. Like, you can easily forget which one each character, if you're playing the same character. Yeah, each, for sure. Players. So now they've started noting that. Like, the production values on, on the fighting game streams have really come a long way, even in just the last five years. They have, but there's still... There's still, there's still room to improve. Yeah, there's, sure. there's still a little... And ES- I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see the ESPN2 broadcast this year, because yeah. obviously that's different people than w- who are normally doing this, and like yeah. you're wondering how many lessons they're taking and how much you're, you know... We we worked in TV long enough. We know that sometimes as a TV person, it's hard to take advice from some kid who runs a live stream. But sometimes they're right. Yeah, you know, like they know how to present the content. Well, ESPN has done this for a while now as well. I mean, you know, and pretty arguably that you know covering (laughs) MOBAs is far Mm -hmm. more challenging on television than it is a fighting game. So I have pretty high hopes that ESPN will do a a pretty good job on the Mm -hmm. broadcast. Are you going to watch it on the stream or on ESPN? I'll watch it on ESPN. Will you? Yeah, because I'm, you I'm interested get to see how that the works. The chat and the reaction and everything. I don't care about the chat. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, but it's like, you know, I will usually gravitate toward who has the better announcers, and I guarantee you ESPN2 is going to have Seth Killian and. Yeah, and he's who, the best. I don't know. I don't. Yes, yeah, Seth Killian's the best for sure. For Street Fighter, especially. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I wonder who his partner will be, because Mike Ross has been kind of. Uh, Incommunicado for a while. Oh, really? He hasn't been doing a lot of like you know high profile stuff. But I, I, imagine, I imagine he'd come back for this if they asked him. I just don't know. I wonder who, why who he sucks. hasn't been. I don't know. He's been doing his own thing. What would that be? I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, he's a he's a he's a, a deep man of contradictions and secrets. Okay. Well, it's going on right now. Don't leave our stream to go watch Evo, please. Um, 
But uh, as soon as we get out of here and uh, I'll curate that stuff to the top of the page, it'll be there all weekend. Highly recommend watching this, even if you've never watched eSports before. Uh, <coughs> give it a shot, I think, particularly on Sunday. Probably on Sunday, it's going to be hot as balls yeah. out there. If you want to kick up your feet with a nice cold lemonade or an adult beverage. Yeah. Just don't judge it by Tekken. Yeah. <laughs> Tekken, Tekken is the traditional bathroom dinner break yeah, yeah. Of, uh, of Evo. But... Sunday evening, things are winding down. After you watch Game of Thrones, which is coming back this weekend. Yeah. That's a big deal. Uh, after you watch that, maybe skip on over to ESPN2 or head to Twitch and check out Evo. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So, all right. Next, we're going to talk about Splatoon 2. Splatoon. Splatoon. I still don't understand why it's Splatoon. Splatoon. Because people, you either, you either emphasize the splat or you emphasize the platoon. Splatoon. You're putting Splatoon. An S. You're, you're still saying the oon the, the same way. Yeah, but Splatoon. You're putting the, the emphasis on tune. You put the emphasis on spla. On splat, because that's yeah. how you say the, the word. But you say platoon. Splatoon. Splatoon. <laughs> you're just adding an S to the front of platoon. That's all. Yeah. Splatoon. 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 Do they say it out loud in the game? I don't think they do, think actually. They do. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a definitive. It's going to turn into the new Samus versus Samus. <laughs> that it's roiled on forever and ever. Uh, so Samus, Samus, Samus. Yeah, that was a thing for a long time. Yeah, and we and like then finally they said her name in Smash Brothers. And people were like, oh, so Samus. But then I think but Nintendo. They said, they said Samus in a really early commercial, yeah. like back yeah, in the Nintendo day. Yeah, Nintendo was contradicting contradicting itself as well. Well, so. because it's like it's like you can. It just depends how you want to pronounce that A from the Japanese translation and what right. they intend there. It's hard to tell. I think it's it's Samus. Yeah. So I've been playing... Or at least the one person I've met said, Samus. Yeah. I'm like, oh, now we got to deal with you. Samus. <laughs> like, right? uh, so first I want to talk about the campaign, the single player in, in Splatoon. Um, I pretty much am finished. And I would one thing I would note is that in the play view that I published on the site, I said that it was probably going to be a little bit over 10 hours. That was not accurate. So I was basing that upon playing the first two worlds out of five. Mm -hmm. uh, as it turns out, it does not even get to ten hours. It's not as long as I thought it was going to be extrapolating out how long it took me to do the first two levels versus... I think a big part of that was me just getting better at the mm -hmm. game, uh, not dying nearly as much, and kind of figuring out its systems and the things that it wanted to do. So it's not as long as I said in the play view, uh, first thing I wanted to mention. Um, the second thing I would say is, is that it is markedly better than... From the, the campaign from the first game. It, the structure of it hasn't changed that much. It's still pretty much just like self-contained, extremely linear levels uh, that you pretty much just have to go from the beginning uh, to the end of. Um, there are a few stages where things are kind of mixed up, where it's like, hey, collect X number of these things, and it ends the level. But for the most part, you're warping to a stage, and you're fighting and platforming your way to the end of the stage where you warp out of it. And it's all completely linear. Um, we were talking last week, Brandon and I, about the Mario games and the 3D Mario games and how they provide a lot of latitude to kind of do things differently. Like every player kind of plays it differently and good players will use wall jumps more than other players and kind of the whole tool set. Uh, with this, there's not a lot of uh, opportunity for your own interpretation on how you solve each level. Uh, there's generally kind of one way that you get through each obstacle. So there's not as much creativity in the play as you might find in a lot of other games. There are like a lot of hidden stuff in the game. 
Um, like each level has two things specifically that you're supposed to find. And then ultimately, if you collect those things, that translates later on uh, into you being able to use those things in a way that I don't think I'm allowed to say, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. So I'm not going to go too much deeper into that. But there are kind of two collectibles. Actually, there's more than that. There's one that I know I can't talk about. But there's two primary collectibles that you need, and you can see them up there. So the one that on the right, the one that's like a scroll, and the other one's like, I can't even tell what the hell that thing's supposed to be. But if you look at the top right there, in this le that level, I yeah. collected one of them. But there's two things you need to collect at each level, and then there's like those little orbs that you collect. Uh, and the orbs are what you use to kind of upgrade <clears throat> and, uh, and things like that. So um, the campaign, while it's not designed all that much differently, what makes it feel and play a lot differently is the fact that each level kind of has its own level-based mechanic. Um, like something about it that kind of sets it apart from all the other stages. Like the one, the one level you were seeing before, there's like these rolls that roll out. When you strike them, they roll out. In a certain amount of time, they roll back. And pretty much every level, particularly in the first, like, I don't know, two and a half um, levels in the game, there's kind of a new one for each one. And towards the end, it does kind of start using the same ones over mm. and over again. Um, but I like that about it. Each level that you go into, you really don't know what it's going to be asking you to do. And it kind of caught me off guard and uh, I thought provided like a lot of variety to the game in general. Um, we're seeing a boss fight right now. Um, the boss fights, I feel like, are way too easy. Uh, <laughs> right after you died. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's like a lot of Nintendo games where it's not really a, a test of your skill. A test it, of pattern recognition. Right. It's figuring out what you need to do, and then once you figure out what you need right. to do, you do it like the first time. Like, Zel the old Zelda games were a lot like that, and the 3D Mario games were a lot like that, and this one kind of follows into that template a lot. So, uh... Yeah, I, I, the boss fights were kind of a disappointment to me, which to me in the, the first game, they were kind of the highlight of the entire campaign. But I think that also kind of speaks to the general improved quality of the campaign in general. Um, so after all these platitudes and all these compliments I've given the campaign, it's still not great. <laughs> I guess is the best way I can put it. It still feels like basically the easiest way Nintendo could have created a campaign. There's really no story in it at all. Um, it's the, pretty much the same setup. Hey, all these zapfish have been kidnapped by these things that you don't care about. Now go get them back. Like, that's pretty much the only setup you get. There are no cutscenes in it at all, save for when you enter a stage, a couple text bubbles will pop up and give you some, some text to read. But other than that, it's like it doesn't really provide any motivation to keep playing as far as, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? It's like, you know what's going to happen. Eventually, you're going to rescue all the zapfish, and it's going to end. So, um, so in that regard, it is kind of a lazy campaign still, which is kind of disappointing, considering a lot of people gave the first game a lot of criticism for that. In that regard, it's kind of the same. And see, here's another kind of element that was added for this level, like the grinding rails. Mm. And each, each level kind of has its own little thing that you do for the first time. Um, and so, I enjoyed the campaign. I think I've, I'll probably finish it in about 30 minutes or whatever. I just couldn't quite finish it off. <laughs> and I certainly enjoyed it more than in the first game, but it's still not great. Uh, and this is what I was talking about earlier. So this is one of the mission objectives. We have to collect, like, eight of whatever before the, the level ends. Um, there's that transition. <laughs> it was like a, spl a Splatoon transition. Yeah, like that ink. was perfect, dude. It looked like the ink was, like, bleeding off. Uh, so... I guess what I would say is, overall, <laughs> do not 
buy this game to play the campaign. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're someone who doesn't play online, maybe you have a crappy internet connection, or maybe you just like to play single-player campaigns, this game is not worth it just for the campaign. Um, multiplayer. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is stuff I can't talk a ton about, because for whatever reason, Nintendo only lifted an embargo for single-player campaign stuff. They didn't really lift an embargo for multiplayer. Um, but I have played, one, I have played a ton of the beta, and I can talk about a lot of that stuff that is still in the game that was in the beta. Um, and two, there's another kind of Splatfest coming up, I believe, this weekend. I think anybody can jump in and, and mm. play the multiplayer this weekend. So most of the stuff people are going to find out anyway. Um, but the one thing I will say about the multiplayer that I absolutely hate is that it does the same two-map rotation thing, where it gives you two maps at a time, and you can play those two maps for hours, and then it'll rotate, and it'll, it'll open up two more maps. Mm. And it, look, it was a little bit more annoying to me because when I first started playing the multiplayer, it ended up being the same two maps that they had in the beta that I had played. Uh, but the one thing I will say is that when I finally did get to play some new maps, there are some really cool maps in this game that are completely different from anything that's ever been in Splatoon. I've said before that maps in this game really don't matter all that much because they're all kind of the same. It's almost like they're they're like, okay, these are the objects for this map. Now let's just shove them into a randomizer and we'll create this map out of, like, all these boxes and squares and grates. And there are maps like that in Splatoon 2, but there are a lot more maps in this that are completely different. Like, there's one where you start way up high, and then you just keep going down, 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 down. Like, literally, like, almost like a skyscraper. And kind of that addition, or that that added depth to the maps completely changed how you play it. Because the other part of it, too, is that it was really easy to die just by missing a platform because it was like kind of suspended in midair. And if you kind of fell off, you just died. So you had to kind of always look where you leap. Whereas in the more traditional maps that you usually get with this series, you can kind of just jump off any platform. And as long as you're not in squid form where you would fall through a grate, you're pretty safe knowing that you're, you're going to land on, on safe footing. Um, so I like the fact that they're really kind of mixing up the maps. Um, I have not tried the voice chat yet. And I don't even know if I have the tools to do it. <laughs> I don't have, like, the gear and the little dongle that I need. Um, so I have not given that a go. I still have a lot more multiplayer I need to play uh, before I can write the game eval. And I'll be doing that a lot this weekend in between watching Evo and whatnot. So um, I have not played Sam and Run yet either, which is the Horde mode. Mm. Uh, obviously right now it's pretty much just journalists and influencers that are playing the game. And so just getting games sometimes can be a pain in the butt. Like, Nintendo has put up these specific times where their testers will be on, and, oh, man. Dude, their testers are so good. (laughs) The other part of it, too, (coughs) that I should mention is that in the early going on this game, you really feel like you're behind the eight ball. Because I started, and most of the people I was playing against were levels, like, 9 through, like, 20. And I was level 1. And you have to play this game pretty much up until level level 4, you can start buying new weapons, and level 5, you pretty much have enough money to where you can buy most of them. Um, and those first five levels, man, where you, were, you didn't have the guns and all the upgrades that everyone else had was really, really tough. I was just getting slaughtered because I had one weapon I could use. I had no buffs. So the clothes that you wear, and this, this is just like the first game, but some people may not have played the first because it was a Wii U game. So all the gear you wear gives you buffs. Uh, It'll change how quickly your ink tank replenishes. It'll change how fast you can move through the environment, uh, stuff like that. So your hat, um, your shoes, and your shirt, all that stuff, you can go to the stores back in the main main hub, and you can buy 
upgrades um, so that you can basically make your character more powerful than he was before. And that's, <laughs> that's great once you get to the point where you can do that. But in the early going, when everyone else is upgraded and you're still using like the little pea shooter and you have no buffs, it can be really tough and really frustrating, to be perfectly honest. Um, I guess the good news is it only took me, I don't know, three hours maybe to get to level five, something like that. Um, and again, that was with having problems getting matches because there's lots of times where you sit there um, and because there's only so many people, it's like everyone's in one game and you're part of the stragglers, like the, the five or six other people who are waiting for another game. Their game ends and you usually get matched up. But there's lots of times where I sat through the time limit. Uh, so, you know, me saying that took a few hours to get to that point is for most people when the game actually comes out, it probably won't take them quite as long. But I just think it's something to keep in mind. Uh, when you play it, like don't give up on it at first because you're getting your butt kicked. Because you're going to get your butt kicked. Because everyone you're playing against is probably going to be higher power than you and have all these buffs and all these weapons you don't have. And I think maybe the biggest part of that is the bombs. So you have your your weapon, which is basically your su super soaker, and there's tons of those. I mean, there's really like 20 or 30 different weapons that you can choose from. But then you also everyone is equipped with a different kind of bomb. And when you first start, you just have this bomb that you have to perfectly, like it's like a grenade in any shooter. You have to adjust for the arc and get it right and account for how much it bounces. Once you start leveling up, you get access to like the good bombs. And there's like bombs where literally the player can just sit there and just send out literally like 10 heat sinking bombs. <laughs> and when you only have like that one bomb and, there's, and you're squaring off against someone and they've got this, this other bomb where they're sending like 10 or 11 of them at you at once that are heat sinking, it does not feel fair. And I just want to kind of put that out there for people, or even people who are going to play the beta this weekend, to give it a chance. Like, don't say, oh my god, this thing is so unbalanced, I'm screwed. You are. You are getting screwed, and it is unbalanced at first. But eventually, you'll get enough cash that you can go and buy the stuff that will help you compete. Um, Control-wise, and this is, goes throughout the for both campaign and multiplayer, the controls still feel just a little wonky to me. Like, it's not... This isn't the type of game that I would try to get really good at for esports. I guess <laughs> it's the best way to put it. Because there's like awkward things where like for your special you have to click down the right stick. Um, there's just not really enough buttons, I guess, on uh, the Switch controller to kind of handle it. And I think that was one thing we saw come from Cliff Blazinski this week um, when people were asking him if he was going to bring Lawbreakers to Switch. And he said the biggest hurdle that they have, other than the tech, is the amount of buttons that are available on Switch. Yeah, but didn't they walk that back? I don't know. Somebody pointed out that on the Pro Controller, you have exactly the same number of buttons as the PS4. Right, but that's a Pro Controller. And a lot of, I don't have a Pro <clears> Controller. <throat> I'm playing with the Joy-Cons. I think that's all the same buttons, though. I, th I think there are extra buttons on the Pro. No? Not that I can think of. No? I mean, there's press the sticks, four buttons, D-pad here, four buttons here, shoulder, shoulder, trigger, trigger, start. Home. I mean, that's two clicks on the sticks. Yeah, yeah I guess you're right. It's all the same. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess the PlayStation, the DualShock 4 has the touch pad yeah but if one buttons your make or break on that you just say you don't want to make it for the switch yeah like this, i think he was just trying to soften on. the blow yeah and in this case for nintendo it's just how nintendo has mapped the controls and you cannot map them how you want them which is something else that i think is really important you also you can't really do much of anything <clears throat> to the game as far as options are concerned mm. um you can go to the controls and you can adjust like um you have separate adjustments for whether you played in handheld mode or tv mode uh What's which the difference well i think Using motion controls on TV oh, okay. mode is a little easier than using them when it's in handheld mode. Very, it screens on the Yeah, end. so you can basically turn off the motion controls if you want, and either one. 
Uh, but you can set them up separately as well. So it's like, oh, I want to use motion controls on the TV, but I don't want to use it in handheld mode. You can do that. But otherwise, like, you know, I was trying to record footage of this game. Like, you can't even turn down, like, the background music. You know, it's like all the options that you're used to having in a lot of games you don't have in this. It's pretty It's pretty much like this is the way we want you to play it, and this is how you're, you're going to play it for the most part. Uh, the old Nintendo philosophy. Yeah, but I will say, man, like, the controls in this game as far as the aiming and everything are really, really good. Like, the Joy-Con adds a whole whole other level of controls as far as motion controls are concerned. They are just deadly accurate. That is for me personally when they actually work. Yesterday, <laughs> Matt, I still have the problem with the Joy-Cons not connecting. Mm. I had the console sitting right next to me yesterday, Matt. Literally. Joy-Cons here, console here. Still trouble. Yes. Like, I think at this point, I have a defective Switch. I think mm. there's something wrong with the signal that's coming from the Switch to the controllers. And it's just not strong enough. I mean, literally, I got so mad I threw my Joy-Cons yesterday. I was like, what do I got to do? Like, I, what, I have to put it, the, the console in my lap to make it work? Like, it's just insane. And so I'm really starting to think at this point that I have a defective switch and there's something wrong with the antenna in it or, or something. Mm. Um, but I will say, when it works, it's the controls are amazing. Like, they are really, really accurate. Particularly, I really notice it when you fire off your special. So as you play and you lay down ink, like you have a meter on the top right that goes up, and when it gets to its hilt, you can click right three and go in your special. Uh, the one that I use, basically you fly up and you hover and then you can fire missiles. And like the aiming for that using the Joy-Con is just sublime. Like it is just really good. But there's still no getting around how awkward the game can be as far as like using both the right analog stick to turn the camera and using the motion controls at the same time. Um, I think Nintendo's done probably about as good of a job as it could have with it, but it's still... There's just still times where you feel like you died because the controls are a little unwieldy. And that was the way it was in the first game, and that hasn't really changed with this one. So, do you have any questions for me about the game, Matt? Um, not really. No. Like, I, I, I just... Like, how if, if someone already has Splatoon on the Wii U and played the hell out of that, should they buy this? Yeah. Because it's full price, right? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you saying that they played the hell out of it means that they love it. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, if, <laughs> if you love Splatoon, don't even think twice about it. Like, you're going to love this game. It's all new maps, and there's, I think there's enough tweaks to make it feel at least a little bit different so you don't feel like you're getting completely ripped off. I do feel like it probably should have been a discounted game mm -hmm. uh, because it really is kind of like a reskinning of the first game with some tweaks here and there. Um, but yeah, if you love Splatoon, man, don't even go pre-order it now. Like if you can get like a pre-order bonus of like a plushie or whatever with it, I don't even know. I haven't seen any of the offers. But if you can get something extra with yeah. it, go, go pre-order it now and get that extra thing. You get, get those amiibos because they're yeah. going they're gonna to disappear. They're doing a bunch of stuff with amiibo in this that I cannot talk about uh, as well. And it's cool. That's mm -hmm. all I'll say. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely worth uh, registering and using your amiibo in this game. Uh, there's what I was talking about. This is the special mm. that I always use. Um, and yeah, aiming with the motion controls while you're doing that is just incredibly accurate. So so yeah, I would recommend it to anyone who loved the first Splatoon. Even though it's full price, you're going to get more than your money's worth out of it when it's all said and done. Like honestly, the amount I've played it in the last four or five days is probably worth the full price amount. Um, and I still have a lot more multiplayer to go, and I still haven't quite finished the campaign. And I haven't even played the Horde mode at all yet. 
Um, so yeah, if you're a fan, go for it. If you played, if you really gave Splatoon a chance on Wii U and you didn't like it, there's really not a lot here that's going to change your mind on that. Um, unless you're a really big fan of Horde mode or whatever. Because uh, the campaign isn't that much better than the first game. Um, and so I don't think that's going to change people's, people's minds too much. Um, and the multiplayer is pretty much I- identical. There's very little changes other than there's new maps. And like I said, some of the maps are a lot different from what we got in the first game. Uh, so that certainly has a little credence maybe for that. But if you really gave it a shot, played it for 15 hours, was just like, oh, I wasted my money, I should have never bought this game, you should stay away. Um, if you've never tried Splatoon at all, and there are a lot of people who have Switches that did not buy a Wii U, and that's gonna, that number's going to get bigger every day, I would recommend giving it a try. Try to get on there this weekend during the Splatfest. Uh, I think you'll, be, you'll know by the time the weekend is over whether it's something that you want to spend money on. In fact, I, I think for most people, you kind of know after like five matches. Because after the fifth, like the, around the fourth match, you start to get the handle on the controls and how it works. Mm-hmm. And it is different than anything else in the world. I mean, being able to use the floor as cover, I mean, there's still no other game that does that. And that's really what being an inkling is. It's instead of using cover behind like a, a wall or something like that, you're essentially using the ground as cover. And there's nothing quite like seeing an enemy coming your way, ducking down below the ink, waiting for him to get close, popping up, and just killing him. Like, it, there's no other game that really offers that. And, but, and I think you get that very quickly. Like, within. You know, a few matches, you start to really see, like, why it's so different from other shooters. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it's kind of a platformer, too. Mm-hmm. And that even does mix into the multiplayer a good bit. Mm-hmm. Not quite as much as a single player, where you could almost really call it a 3D platformer with light combat. Uh, on multiplayer, it's switched. It's co- more combat-heavy with some light platforming. So I'm having fun with it. And I was a person who kind of fell into the camp of, I like it with the first one. I think I played it for maybe, like, two weeks uh, before I stopped playing it, it never... And again, I think it went back to kind of the controls feeling a little loosey-goosey to me. Mm-hmm. Um, is why I didn't end up sticking with it over the long term. Uh, but yeah, if you loved the first Splatoon, you're going to love this one too. Um, and, and I'll be back. We'll probably talk about it next week. The review embargo is the 18th. So you'll start seeing the reviews coming online here in just a few days. Um, and you'll get some opinions other than mine. Uh, but yeah, so on the 18th, the review embargo is up, so probably on next week's show, I'll give you my final impressions once I finish the campaign, played the horde mode, and played a ton of multiplayer. Because the one part about multiplayer that I really don't know about yet is, how are those unlocks? Mm-hmm. You know, are they well balanced? Does it feel like as you start scaling up in levels, it feels like everything is kind of laid out perfectly for you? Because, you know, in the early going, it's really not. Um, there's kind of that hump you got to get over before you finally start getting new gear and things like that. And it's a big part of the game. So uh, that, those are the kind of the things I'm going to be looking at over the next few days as I continue to play. So, and if you guys have questions about it, uh, save them for the end of the show and I'll answer whatever I can within the uh, parameters that Nintendo's given us. So, all right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about video game collecting and collecting video mm-hmm. games. And, and we'll probably stray into just collecting in general, anything. Um, so this week... Uh, ben Kuchera from Polygon uh, wrote, I don't even know if it was really an opinion piece, it was more of like a cultural piece. Yeah, was, um, I mean, it was, I don't know, it was kind of a blog post. Yeah, we. Yeah, um, it's like, we tagged it to opinion on yeah. Sifted, but it's like, it we is. couldn't really find anything else to kind of tag it. I, I mean, it would, it would be an op-ed, yeah, probably. That's the best way to put it. Um, but basically what he said, in, in a nutshell, and I'm totally paraphrasing, he, he talked about how he used to collect games. 
Um, and he had dated this girl for a really long time, and she left him. And then two days later, his house got robbed, and he lost his entire game collection. Then he talked about how he slowly got back into collecting and build it back up. And then ultimately, he sold his collection within the last month, it seemed like. Very recently, mm -hmm. he sold his entire collection. I was surprised how much money he got for it. Because um, he never opened most of it. Yeah. Like, he suddenly realized that, like, yeah... Do you want to open up this copy of, you know, Banjo-Kazooie, or do you want to sell it for, like, 200 bucks? And I would sell it for 200 bucks. Because <laughs> like, I still have my, co me, my copy of Banjo-Kazooie, but it has no box. It's just the, it's just the cartridge yeah. I play, you know, that I had. It's my cartridge. Um, but if I had an unopened one that I never played or had any interest in play, ever open, I'm just like, yeah, get rid of that. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. So, first of all... You, we talked a little bit before mm -hmm. we went live about the article. You are, I, I was a fan of the article. I thought it was great. I thought it did a good job of kind of tying games into someone's life and how games mm -hmm. can have an effect on their decision-making in the real life, on things that maybe aren't even all that related to video games, but you had a different take on it. Yeah, I just didn't connect with any of what he's talking about there, really, because I do collect a lot of stuff, including video games. But I just don't attach the individual objects to these like life events uh, in the same way he's describing how like you know like every he, he you know this was this was his copy of this and that was what he he played this when this happened and he remembers buying this when it you know when it came into the store and he bought it before it could even be put out with a price tag because he knew he wanted it and stuff like that I'm like I just don't the collecting the the objects in the collection are separate entities from wherever and whenever i mean i remember when i got a lot of stuff but it's not like some kind of emotional calendar of my life and like you know like i don't but, i don't and so so like part of what he's at least early in the article what he's talking about like how replacing them didn't feel like it was doing the job because even if he replaces that game it's not the copy of the game that was there in that moment in his life and, and i'm just like that's not what i there, there that part are... makes no sense to me but i think attaching inanimate objects to emotional times in your life i think that happens for everybody it's like i think With back games, to like ex-girlfriends that... i had and i can remember like what car i owned while we dated or oh, yeah. or what my favorite shirt was or what skateboard i was skating at that like to me at least me personally, I do look back through my life and I and I managed to connect moments in my life with things that I owned or didn't own or and so that part of it I get. Like I I think a lot of times the things that you own stand as these touch points that help you that jog your memory in a lot of ways to moments in your life and things that happened in your life. Yeah, I just don't really do that with really? games. Like ga not games. Like game to me the game is the experience of playing the game. Yeah not the object like so you know if i like playing symphony of the night on xbox live arcade was no less good or different or, or you know reminiscent than playing like my actual disc copy which i still have which i by the way i got three days after my long-term college girlfriend left me and i didn't sell shit because of it <laughs> like I, I don't like it's just not something i don't associate that game with that i mean when you bring this up i remember oh yeah that, that happened right then but it's not like i put in symphony of the night and i remember her it's like i remember playing with symphony of the night i remember symphony of the night well he didn't sell like his stuff right away right because like, well, he got robbed like 15 years ago so he lost all his stuff bought mm -hmm. it all back and then like 10 plus years and realized, later realized it didn't really do anything for him even though he'd already you know, he didn't buy but i don't think he bought everything back he's i think yeah. he said he bought about a third right the, the yeah. stuff he considered important or historically significant, um, which is really kind of one of the main things I do too. Is like you know, if I feel like oh, I might 
want this as kind of part of the historical timeline of the collection. I keep that. Like, I feel like I'm curating a library more than I'm curating, like, some kind of diary. I yeah. guess would be what I would so, and, like, I don't really see any kind of life, because there's a point at which in the article he basically says, this is like, I mean, now everything is different and life's better. You know, I, have, I have a wife and I have kids and that's exactly what you want, right? And I'm like, I don't know. Are you asking me or yourself when you do that? I, I, didn't, I, yeah. I, didn't, I, I didn't know what I was supposed to really get out of that at the end. Like, I would say one thing about that article is that he assumes a lot from the reader. Mm-hmm. And I, honestly, I think games journalism in general kind of does that anymore because I think a lot of the <coughs> writers and the journalists and the critics are on social media so much. I mean, literally, I don't know how these people do it. Like, I see some of these right journalists, dude. They tweet, like, a hundred things a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, how are you getting anything done? Like, <laughs> like, I've never been that way. And it's probably to my detriment, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, you know, I had a platform at Game Trailers where I could have put my Twitter, like, thing mm-hmm. up over and over and over again and been narcissistic about it and said, please follow me and blah. I've never done that. Like, I just, I don't care. Like, I'm cool with the people who resonate with me enough just going on Twitter and typing in Shane Satterfield and like, oh, he's Den Fire, follow. Like, I've never been the person to like beg for likes or... You're never going to be the next Michael Pactor doing that. No, you're absolutely right. (laughs) No, you're right. It it has been to my detriment professionally. There's no doubt about it. And like, I think back and I'm like, would I, knowing what I know now, would I go back and do that? And I don't think I would, man. Like, it's just not me. That's just not how I operate. Some people just aren't cut out for that i mean there's, there's a, it's like it's like i've thought about like oh it'd be fun to be like this thing it's like yeah it's a certain kind of person this guy yeah. got to be that person and and uh you know i'm not i'm not a social media you know self-promoter either but i think a lot of these people not just ben Kuchera, because they are doing that they're tweeting everything that happens to them or they're on mm-hmm. facebook sharing everything that ever happens to them no matter how mundane or small I think they start to assume that everybody knows everything that's happened in their life. Mm-hmm. And Ben Kuchera, in particular, if you're a friend with him on Facebook, he talks a lot about problems that he's having, like emotionally, with depression and things like that. And I almost felt like that article was written for the people who are friends with him on Facebook. Yeah, a little bit. Because he that. assumed a lot of the reader in that mm-hmm. piece. I mean, and I, I didn't feel like I was missing a lot of you know personal information from i feel like he he put it all in there to some degree but like i i don't know anything about his wife or his family right. and like the way he wraps that article up made me ask a lot of questions and i don't know yeah. if that was if i'm supposed to be asking those questions for instance like like, like i said where he's like oh I'm, I, you know that's my life my life's good now right and i'm like i don't know like you know i that's that's a question you should ask yourself, Megatron. You know, I gotta, <laughs> and um, and the other thing I noticed uh, that was like at the beginning of it, he's talking about the the ex girlfriend who left him. That one of the early signs that he noticed was, or at least noticed in hindsight, was that she would get dressed in the bathroom before leaving the bathroom and walking somewhere else. And at the end of the article, he says he decided to write this column, this article. Uh, in the shower, and then he put his pants on in the bathroom and walked to the kitchen. And I'm just like, if I'm Mrs. Uh, if I'm Mrs. Kuchera, I'm like, red flag. Mm, yeah, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> you just said, but yeah, like, yeah. And I just said that that was a sign right. that your girl was going to leave you. And, and I'm not serious about that. I don't think I don't think Ben is, I, is planning to leave his wife. But I'm just saying, like, 
you know, you're writing this thing that encourages a close reading of what you're saying and kind of comparing like the present state to the old state. When I compared the present state at the end of the article to what you set up at the beginning, the parallel I noticed is probably not what you wanted me yeah, to Yeah, yeah. No, I'd agree with that. I felt the same way when I read that. Um, and in the end, it was just like, you know, I, I, I totally support someone who collects something and decides they, they don't need it anymore. Like, like, it's probably the healthiest thing you can do in a situation where a collection grows out of control and it just feels like it's not the thing that makes you happy anymore. Uh, I'm just not there. You know? <laughs> I, it's, and that's what I really wanted to talk about. Like, the, the article and everything is a good primer to get there and talking about mm. sort of the emotional attachment to that piece that Ben had kind of kicks things off. What I really want to talk about is collecting. I'm collecting ga- anything. I am honestly, I'm pretty much at the point that Ben Kuchera is at. Mm. I am at the place where I just don't see much of a point in collecting games or anything anymore. Um, I think the biggest issue for me is that I never really collected them because I have this weird like OCD emotional attachment to games. I don't really collect games because I think I'm going to play them again because I've proven to myself time and time again that I'm mostly never going to play these games again. I collect games because they have value. Oh, that's the chat's pointing out another weird thing about sorry about that article where one of the signs he talked about the relationship was ending was that people close the door when they go to the bathroom. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what house you're living in, Ben, but but an, I have never left the door open when I pooped around yeah. anyone. Like, no, that's now, not number a thing. two is a deal breaker. Yeah, number come two, on. you close the door. Yeah. yeah, I mean, was he people. saying that he did that with the door? Open? I mean, he didn't clarify, but it sure read that way. <laughs> that's really. Weird. I'm just saying. I'm just saying maybe another pass. Yeah, I mean, look, number one, I think I think once you're with a girl for yeah. a while, no, I mean, I don't close the door every time I go to take a pee at our right. Place, or certainly, but. like if someone's in the shower and you got to use, you know, it's, yeah, it's like that. But like, otherwise, like, hey, yeah. one at number a time. Number two is where number I draw two, the line. Yeah. One at a time for the number two. <laughs> yeah. Like it. But so anyway, what I've realized is that I don't collect games or anything mm-hmm. else really for what maybe some people do. I collect them because I think they're going to be worth money someday. Mm. And at this point, they aren't. <laughs> none, right. none of these games Very are going to be worth anything now. Like, there used to be kind of these things you could cling on to. Maybe there's like one, a couple games left still, like Panzer Dragon Saga. Like, mm-hmm. they haven't reissued that yet. But eventually, they're probably going to. They're yeah. going to remaster it or something. Maybe. And the, I hope. the value of that is just going to plummet. And. With the way they're remastering games, reissuing games, there's really no value. Like, I, just on a whim, before I, we came to do the show, I started going back and really looking at old games. And so I started looking at, like, old Atari 2600 carts that I have uh, with the box and the instructions and, com- you know, complete. And, like, they're going for, like, two ninety nine, <laughs> And I, those are the oldest games I own. And some of the games that I have are really rare. Like, games that literally sold, like, 40,000, 50,000 copies. And, like, they're not worth mm-hmm. anything. Because it, the, the, the worth of a game is an interesting balance of rarity and appeal. Right. It's like, if, some, if there's only 1,000 copies of something, that makes it rare. But if it's not good, nobody gives a shit. And it's very rare that there's a really good game that does not sell well. So there's always a you lot of copies You have to have something like, like, like Panzer Dragoon Saga or yep. it's, it's, it's Wave Mates. Uh, Res for a while. Burning, Ra- Burning Rangers, Shining yep. Force 3. Like those, yeah, the end of Saturn Life games where they put like 4,000 copies out. Yeah. They, because they had to do it, but they didn't want to do too much of it. And I mean, another reason I've held on to a lot of my games all this time, although I also got robbed um, right. when I... I think I was still working at G4, wasn't yep. I? Yeah, when yep. I got robbed. I went home for Christmas, 
I came back and they cleaned out my pretty much my entire collection. So that has happened to me before. And then I started building it back up again. But I think another, another thing that I always say to myself is, oh, I'm going to need these games to do stuff later on. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, maybe we do like a top 10 list or whatever. Or I want to talk about that. Or I want to play this old game. Like, I'm not going to do that. The funny thing is, like, I do that too, and I just ran into a situation where I needed one. Oh, really? And I don't know where it is. <laughs> I need that stupid Bruce Willis PS1 game, Apocalypse. Yeah. Remember that? Like, yeah. And, like, I know I have that, and I don't know where it is. It's in a box somewhere, and I got to find it. Because otherwise, you know, yeah, they're not worth a ton, but you go yeah. on eBay for that game, it's like 20 bucks. I'm like, I'm not paying 20 bucks right. for that. Yeah. But, like, it's just. Yeah. And I mean, look, this is why I buy. Retail instead of digital, because mm-hmm. at least there's some monetary value to that game once you've bought it and you don't want it anymore. At least you can get five bucks for it or mm-hmm. whatever. With digital, it's like, for now, you have no value. You can't, you're technically not allowed to sell your accounts or whatever, mm-hmm. um, although I think probably a lot of people do and get away with it. Um, so Shane got robbed twice. Sleepy Droid. Shane gets robbed all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just... it's. You attract crime. <laughs> I, don't know. I must be Philly or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I got robbed in Philly. I don't know how many they times. I can smell the cheese whiz. I you. guess. I had <laughs> I had friends that came to visit me in Philadelphia while I was at Temple who walked to a corner store to get 40s and got robbed. Like, <laughs> that's how bad it is. Um, so I think I've run out of reasons to keep this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I think in the back of my mind, I was always like, well, you know, if I keep this stuff around... By the time I'm 60-whatever and I'm ready to retire, I'll just sell it all. And that'll be like a little nest egg that I'll just top into my retirement funds if I have freaking any at that point. Um, but I just feel like I've run out of reasons to collect. And another thing that I've collected, and I think this kind of informed me on collecting games, is house music. Like, I have literally, like a lot of the rooms, the room where I record our back bedroom, um, where I record a lot of the hangouts for Sifted, like if you look behind me, you'll see... Some of my house music record collection. You'll see my turntable sitting up on top. Um, that huge shelf, which is like way bigger than that sifted sign, it's like three times the size of that sifted sign, is like barely half of what I have. And I have records from like 1992, 93, literally when house music started, like some of the very first ever house records. Preston, Detroit, like they are worth nothing. And with records, like, that stuff weighs so much. Each crate of records weighs, like, 60 pounds. And so I remember what it was like to move into our apartment. And, like, I remember the moving guys just schluffing my records around. They they hated it. Like, I don't want to move this stuff. It sucks. So they started, like, destroying the records. And I thought they ended up not being worth anything. And so I'm a little more pragmatic when I think about collecting. Like, I collect stuff not because I have this weird emotional attachment to it, although there are some games or records that do kind of jog my memory with what I was talking about earlier. It's really more of like a financial thing. I'm like, oh, these are going to be worth money someday. I shouldn't get rid of them. And as it turns out, nothing really is. Because all those records have now been put up on Beatport. And you can pay a mm-hmm. dollar and get like a pure digital file where you're not hearing like the noise or the dust on the needle. And some people like that. I, I get that. But most people don't. They're like, I'll pay a dollar and get the digital file. And I start thinking about digitizing these records myself, which is another reason I've kept them around. I'm like, well, I have these tracks and I want to keep them. Putting the needle on the record and sitting there and listening to that record play for 15 minutes, you have to record it one-to-one. And I'm like, I should just spend a dollar and just get the digital file. Mm. So it just seems like everything that I've been into collecting in my life, I've come to the realization over the last probably two years that it's really freaking pointless for me. Why do you collect, Matt? Um, 
Well, I, like, I like the video games because I like having that kind of historical record of the medium. Not not me. It's not about me and these games that have been through my life. It's been it's about like I want to you know one day when I have enough shelf space, I want to be able to kind of start you know start in the in the Atari twenty six hundreds and sort of work your way down to the modern day. Now I will admit. I've been buying a lot of digital stuff this yeah. generation. I've really switched over strongly to digital, not just because of um, uh, either you know sales or whatever, or um, you know space for the actual physical games, but also because you know it's easier to jump from game to game when I don't have to put a dis- different disc in every time I do it. And also sometimes it's like, hey, if I order this from Amazon, I get it you know, on release day, but if I get it from PlayStation Network, I get it 9 p.m. the night before. Right. And sometimes that's enough yeah, for me yeah. to, to go digital mm-hmm. on that because I get to play it earlier. Yeah. Especially when we have a show coming up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one, you know, once we hit kind of this generation, my shelf is going to start to look pretty sparse unless yeah. I decide to go fill it in with like used copies and cheap copies of other things, which I feel like I'm not going to do. Well, that's happened to me organically because it used to be when the publisher sent you a game for review, they sent you the hard copy. Mm-hmm. So, no, no. Yeah, that's, that's very true. I mean, I built, yeah. I have almost every... You ex- would not be able to do that background before, never. again, with this never. generation. No, never. Yeah. Like, I literally think I have probably 80% of all Xbox 360 games ever released. Mm-hmm. Because once I decided that that I was... I so many damn 360 games. Yeah, because so once I decided games. that that was the platform I was going to play most stuff on, like, when they'd mm-hmm. send us in something for review, we, I would review yeah. the Xbox 360 version, and I'd put the PS3 version in our library and then at or the, whatever. And then at the end of G4, of course, a bunch of us, we, we all walked out with giant bags over our shoulders yeah. of all the games. You, know, you know, it was a big dividing... I mean, we used to yeah. do that at, uh, G, at Tech TV, too. We like, did that at game trailers as well. You, know, like, you just have, a, like, a game lottery, basically. We just purge. Like, we just yeah. take turns picking games until they were gone. So yeah. a lot of that, but, like, yeah, this shit, everything's gone so digital that, like, it's just kind of... The, the game collection thing is kind of over, I think. It is, and as long, kind of, and, yeah. and with everything going to remain back backwards compatible and all that stuff, I think, like, the idea of collecting for value is going to become a very, very tiny sliver of the collection market. (coughs) And you also got to figure that there's going to be less people who are collecting. Right. Because it's not a part of the lexicon anymore. It's like the the generation coming up, like, you know, the stuff they're going to have nostalgia for is all digital. It's all iPads. Yeah. And I'm wondering, where is the sweet spot now to sell this stuff? It's like, do you sell it now? I mean, Ben Kuchera was pleasantly surprised by what he got for Mm -hmm. his stuff. Do you sell it now, or do you wait till when it's older, but there are less people, wealthy people, because a lot of them have passed on, mm-hmm. willing to pay top penny for this well, stuff? Well, here's the thing. I think you're still good on, like, you know, the, the, the heyday of, of, of um, I, think, I think the last generation of real ge- valuable stuff is going to be the PlayStation 2 generation. Yeah. And the people who were 12 when the, that generation happened are not 30 yet. Yeah. That's what you want. Because you know, right now we're in kind of the PlayStation 1 era. This is why the, cl- the Crash collection is selling so well. Because people who didn't know any better because they were children have not learned anything since right. then. <laughs> so they, so they, I'm going to keep bashing Crash whenever I can because I hate those games. It makes people um, angry. Well, I've I got know. a lot of hate on the side over well, my dis, the, dis chase the, for a crash. The, I saw the crash. Uh, one of the one of the comments threads on one of the crash stories is the only time I've ever seen you downvoted in the negatives. On yeah, the site. yeah. Like people just don't take the crash. Yep. Um, can't argue. It's popular. Can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. For um, sure. But I think like you're seeing it, so now you're going to see in like five to five to seven years, you're going to see the, the people who are t- you know in their in their formative childhoods, tween years, uh, hitting the age where they have this you know 
maybe not too much disposable income because let's face it, the economy has screwed that generation in a way that we can't even really imagine, and we were pretty screwed to begin with. Well, I think with. it screwed our generation. Oh, yeah, but I think it's getting worse yeah. as, as, you, as you move on. But uh, they're going to want some of that stuff back again, and they're going to, you know, those, all those old PlayStation. There's still some pretty valuable PlayStation 2 games out there. Yeah, uh, there's know, a couple. Like, Mostly know, Japanese games. Japanese stuff, stuff that was, like, you know, released by those, like, really small C and D lists, like, you know, localization companies that yeah. don't exist anymore, or, like, all got absorbed in Xseed or whatever. Yeah. Um, so those are still going to be valuable. So I would wait. For, I think you'd, you'd sell stuff off by generation if I was going to do that. I would... I would basically go all the way up to the PlayStation 1 generation right now, and I would save the PS2 era stuff for a little bit later. And then I would I would uh, make decisions on a game-to-game, or maybe generation game-to-game basis uh, for Nintendo, because Nintendo fans will always be willing to pay high high prices for things for reasons I, that escape me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but in the end, the other thing is, as someone who's trying to sell off a bunch of stuff that we got out of my parents' old house... Uh, there's a point at which you, you have a whole plan in your head, like, oh, sell this, and then this will be sell these to these guys, and at a certain point, you're going to have it all out there on the floor, and you be like, I'm just going to put one eBay auction up and get it out of the house. Like, then, so yeah. that would be what and That's how you make the least amount of money oh, off yeah. your stuff. But I mean, it, you it, really lose a lot of money that way, but you start thinking about the hassle. Yeah. Think about like, what your time okay, is worth. Okay, right. Basically. I have this one game. I'm going to have to take a separate picture create a separate post, go through all the bullcrap of dealing with eBay yeah. people, which is like the worst, because for whatever reason, they think you're supposed to be Walmart. That's what drives me crazy about eBay. <clears throat> They're like, what do you mean you don't have a return, Paul? It's like, I'm not freaking Walmart. I'm some <coughs> dude who bought a video game and doesn't want it anymore. <laughs> like, But eBay has done that. It's tried to make its sellers look like they're mm. eBay. Uh, and it tries to push all the brand new listings like up to the top, and like the whole auction part. It's funny, what eBay was founded on, which was auctions, is like a very small percentage. Like eBay just wants to make it, wants to look like it's Walmart now or Best mm. Buy or whatever. It doesn't want people to associate it with, hey, I'm buying this from some dude in Poughkeepsie or whatever. Um, and so you, you're right. You start thinking about selling each one of those things individually and you're like, I would probably make an extra whatever amount of dollars off of what I've got. Is it worth the yeah. hassle? Because I did, I had a whole bunch of old '90s era Star Wars stuff when when the when the special editions came out and they started doing figures again after like yeah. you know like a 14 year hiatus. And I had the first like three or four years full, fully complete. I had them all in package. The whole thing they're worth about a dollar each now. Yeah. And I had some more open, some more, and so I, I started selling the loose ones individually, a bunch of different. And at a certain point, just the sheer number of insane people that ask you questions about, I'm like, I, yeah. I'm like, it's a tauntaun. How many, yeah. how many different I, the questions can you have about a taunt? Like people, are like, can I get a close up of the horn to see if they're, they're like, no, I'm not going to take because there are some horns where like the kid yeah. may have like rubbed the the ink off of it and like, oh, dude, it drives me crazy. Like, it's been in a box in a closet for 14 years. Like either buy and, it or don't. And I the don't... other crappy part about it too is like with eBay, like if you're the seller, you have no rights. Yeah, like, uh, is, uh, everything's tilted very heavily in favor of the buyer. Like I sold. Good if you're a buyer. Yeah. <laughs> like I sold like a collector's edition of like Modern Warfare 2 or whatever. And you know how back then at least they they would always have like some cool little like RC copter or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and like I put in the listing does not include the car in the title three times in the description. Sold it to him, guys. Like I'm returning this. Where's the car? <laughs> I'm like. Uh, look at the title of the listing. Look, read the listing. It says four times total that the car is not in there. And you know eBay gave him his freaking money back. Wow. You're just like, 
And so when you go through that, you're right. It makes you just want to put everything up on Craigslist or whatever mm -hmm. and just do it all in one big lot and say, screw the extra money that I was going to make selling it piecemeal. Um, another reason why. Like, yeah. the whole collecting thing, it's like, it just, it's kind of lost its luster for me. Mm -hmm. I, the only, I mean, I used to collect, you know, I collected comic books. The, the two, I think there's really only two main things I still collect, and that's video games and Transformers. Uh, the Transformers collection is a far more emotionally uh, driven thing because yeah. I just, you know, I always like them. It takes I, you back to your childhood. Yeah, and also like, and it's both that and also just the fact that I think it's really cool that you have this thing that can turn into another thing. Oh, yeah, like for it's, sure. You know, there's kind of a puzzle box element to it, yeah. especially the high-end stuff. Yep. Uh, that it, the Transformers thing is probably the thing that's more out of control than the video because a, a video game is this big. <laughs> right. Transformers can be big. Each so box, I've got yeah. uh, somewhere in the twelve hundred range. You have twelve hundred Transformers. Transformers? Yeah. Wow. Um, How do you scale like with some of the best collectors out there? Not remotely. You, you're not even not, in the no. really. I would. I'd be surprised if I'm even like the top twenty percent. Wow. For sure. Like there's there's a lot of transformers out there. Wow. And there's I mean, people, you go to there's Japan people with and you really realize there's it, people yeah. with collections that are curated. You know, I don't have any of the big crazy expensive stuff. All, like all my G1 stuff for the most part is stuff from when I was a kid. So some of it's they're most, beat up. Most and... of it's really in actually really good shape because I took care of my toys when I was a kid. But you don't have but, a box and but they're not. All yeah, that there's stuff. no boxes yeah. and stuff like that. It's not. Yeah, I don't have like the crazy rare stuff like Overlord or Star Saber from like the stuff that never came over here, which are you know a good condition Overlord in box is going to run you a thousand dollars all by itself. Um, but it's just, you know I like the characters. I like, you know I'm focusing on like the masterpiece stuff, and that's you know, I want like nice display. Like I'm you know I want to have a, a nice room where we have just display kind of museum display shelves of all these guys, and they're all up, and that'd be that'd be like one of the things I really want in a in a hypothetical house. <laughs> and, and I'll um, probably never own. And. Uh, so you know, like, uh, so that's something I yeah, and I rarely get rid of Transformers. Like, I, although I think I might uh, every once in a while, I'll I'll think about getting rid. Of, I just bought one of the ones from the new movie because it was it turns into it's a little thing. It turns into a dragon. It's got a skull for a head. It's got like ar knight armor. I'm like, oh, it's really cool. I got it out. It's like it's all floppy. The dragon mode is like the legs stick up and that's uh, your head yeah. and your tail. And I'm like, you know what? Like I'm I paid 15 bucks for this. And I'm considering just throwing it in the trash. <laughs> like, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm I'm like maybe I'll just go down to Goodwill and just I'm like here, just give, have give it to a child or just uh, find a family member who has kids and give them to. Sometimes them. I'll do that with that and with those and with and with uh, books that I don't want anymore. I'll just leave them on the table down in the lobby of my apartment building and yeah. they'll be gone within a day. You know, it, it's it's a good way to keep things. I just feel like collecting in general is just going to slowly decline into nothing. I think the first thing that in video I... video gaming, I think that's absolutely In movies, true. I think, too. Oh, movies. I, I mean, I used to buy tons and tons no, of DVDs. You, no, dude. I, you got the whole Criterion collection. Yeah. You ordered it. I remember they brought it into G4 on pallets. Yep. You had something shipped to you at work that came on pallets, yep. and they had to have a forklift get it off the truck, dude. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget that. I remember opening that box and just seeing so many DVDs. The whole thing at the time, which was like 300. Yeah. Or and uh, uh, like I do, I have not <coughs> bought a movie in like 10 years. I buy Blu-rays of stuff that I really like. I, I bought, when I got my 3D TV, I got a couple of the IMAX 3D things. Uh, just because. Because I wanted to see what my TV could do. But that was the last movie I ever I, bought. I still buy Blu-rays. I buy Blu-rays of uh, the, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff that I like. I buy the Star Wars stuff. Uh, I bought Fences on Blu-ray because I love August Wilson. I, if there's something that I really, really like and I really know that I'm going to want to watch it a, a, multiple times... And I'm going to want to watch it in the highest quality available, which is blue because Blu-ray is still better than streaming. Yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know, it really comes down oh, to yeah. it. I'll do that. But I mean, I mean, I'm down to like 
five to ten Blu-ray purchases a year. Yeah. Because almost, you know, anything I just want to watch to see it is going to be, you know, streaming is more than enough. I mean, it, look, and they enough. all come to, like, HBO, like, right. day and date when, and you, when that Blu-ray comes out. And it's like, hand, you know, what handful of movies am I ever going to want to see? So, like, like, in terms of, like, you know, what I've kept up in Blu-ray, it's basically Marvel stuff... Like the all-time, you know, the all-time greats that I love the most, you know, Alien and Aliens, Terminator, right. uh, you know, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, that kind of thing. Uh, Studio Ghibli, I have a full set of that, and I have a full set of uh, Pixar. Yeah. When I got I, to the point where I that, bought, like, <laughs> when I got to the point where I had bought the original Star Wars trilogy for like the fourth time, I think that may have been where the bow broke. Mm. I was just like, that's it, I'm just done. Keeps on going, and yeah. they keep changing shit. Yeah. And like you're still like it's like how did you get that color wrong? It's like yeah. you still get weird little glitches show up, and it's like who is working on this movie that doesn't know Luke Saber is not green right. in the Millennium Falcon in the first film? Like, yeah. it's like I don't I don't know what's going on with some of that <laughs> shit. But uh, I do feel like collecting culture, if that is such a thing, I feel like it's dwindling, and I feel like in ten or fifteen years it's going to be almost non-existent for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, look, my wife collects candles. My mom collects candles. <laughs> it's like mom for collects her, candles and purses. Some people collect stuff for different reasons. Like I, I still don't know why my wife collects candles. I probably never will understand it. But like whatever, like real candles or like yes, or like, like candles that you can light and burn, yeah, like electric ones. Yep. And like when we go on trips or we go overseas, she buys a candle from everywhere we go. And now she just has closets and drawers mm. just full of candles. So is she is she doing that? Is she collecting that in the way that Kuchera is talking about? Like you get something for, that like is attached to these experiences you have to kind of, you know, and you can look at it and you sort of relive that. I got that, that in is. France. I got right. that in Amsterdam. Like, I think that's a much more normal way of collecting things than how I do it. The other thing that being we, really yeah, honest, yeah. Like, the, the other thing that we do collect together is we collect Christmas ornaments. So mm. if we go on a trip We'll get a Christmas ornament from wherever we go. Mm-hmm. And then the one time a year we put on the tree, we talk about, oh, I remember our trip to blah, blah, blah. We put it on the tree, put it away when it's all over, and then we don't talk about it again until <laughs> the next year whenever we get them out. But uh, it, collecting is a, a strange thing, don't you think? I mean, yeah. psychologically, there's just this weird angle mm-hmm. to it. And I think it's different for everybody. Everyone has their own reasons for collecting something. Well, it also and... becomes a habit that you... you it, I think it can take a long time to realize that you're not enjoying it anymore. No, yeah. It'll weigh you down, ultimately, mm-hmm. too. Like, it, if, if you don't own a home, and you have an yeah. attic, and you're moving around, and, like, that's what happens. It's like every time you have to move the stuff, <laughs> that's when you have the reckoning. Mm-hmm. That's when you say, oh, wow. Like, I, you know, I'm thinking about, like, I, I, I'm going to think about moving away from our apartment right now, but every time I see my records, I'm like, oh, man, I never want to move those again. Like, I just don't. Like, and so it wears on you over time. At least with games, they don't take up as much space as my records. So I think it's an interesting uh, part of our society, at least American society in particular. Like, for whatever reason, we like to have things. Whether we use those things or not, whether we ever even look well, at those things. Because the other part about a collection American is... American culture is very much about acquisition. It is, yeah. So. And what I've got. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, the ironic part about it is, after a while, your brain just shuts the stuff out. <clears throat> you know it's there, so you don't even look at right. it anymore. It's so bizarre. It's like this part of wherever you live that just is like a black hole. Mm. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I keep it, because I have pretty much... I used to collect the, like, the sideshow, like the 12-inch Star Wars figures. Yeah. And there's a point at which I realized that I just wasn't yeah. using them anymore, so I just stopped. But I still with the Transformers, because I walk into the room where we've, we've got most of our stuff up, and sometimes I let them, I'm like, man, those look great. Yeah. Like, those are great. Yeah. Like, I don't even notice stuff that I collect anymore. I don't even see it. Like, yeah. my shelves of games, 
don't the games even I do that too. Well, the games like I'm out of shelf space, so like a lot of the PS4 games just sort of stack next to the yeah, entertainment center. Yeah, mine are center. like that too. Yeah, and like uh, and some every once in a while I go look for something like oh where is it? oh it's so the bottom of the stack oh my god this is crushed beyond all recognition. Yeah, yeah. Those <laughs> games are heavy once they hit like the 20 30 oh, yeah. range for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I support anybody who wants to get out of the collecting game. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I will refuse to be an enabler for that. However, I will also not apologize for the no, fact you that I've got a kick-ass Galvatron yeah. on, on that shelf. <laughs> yep. And secretly, you all want one too. I want one for sure. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about the Oculus Rift. Um, the bow broke this week, Matt. Mm. Finally, Facebook relented and was just like, "This thing is not selling." Yep. At full price. Um, and that, something that, we've the, been saying on this show pretty much ever since it launched. Now, the 400 it was the $400 thing. Was that with the touch controller? Yeah, with touch. 400 bucks for that, plus the touch controller, plus an Xbox One controller, plus seven games. Yeah. That's a, that's a deal. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Particularly for somebody like you who paid full price for most of the stuff. Yeah. And, do I mean, you have look, any animosity no. over that? No. Do you it, think other people might? I mean, obviously I, money I, isn't a good uh, It's concern. the internet, so yeah. Yeah. Of course well. they will. But I mean, but, uh, legitimately, do you think? Eh, look, it can't do room scale. Yeah. Like, am I going to sit here and like wish I'd gotten that and waited for that instead of getting the Vive? No, because the Vive does awesome stuff that the right. Oculus can't. Yeah. I Although thought, Oculus is saying that it's something that's coming. Yeah, well. Yeah. How we'll long see. do the touch controllers yeah, take to get here? <laughs> it took a while. Yeah. And meanwhile, you're, so you get those grip controllers that they're showing for the Vive, yeah. with the, where like it clamps on your hand and it can track individual you, fingers. Finger, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting <laughs> yeah. there, people. <laughs> Is that really what happened to Oculus? Is that it, the price difference, the, the slightly lower price, was not enough to rationalize the lack of features that it had compared to Vive? I think, it, well, at least for me, I think. It was like the middle ground yeah, that nobody it was wanted. Like if you, and if you're willing to spend that much money, you're probably going to get the one that does... Everything. Uh, everything. Yeah, it yeah. goes cool shit, you know? Yeah. Especially when you consider the price of the touch controller, it's the same price as the Vive. Yeah. So why would you spend the same money to get less? And you're talking about Facebook. Especially Coming once... Coming not hurting for money. Right. Well, especially <laughs> once, uh, you know, once Revive was was there and then pulled and then they said, okay, fine, you can do it. So then, like, the, you know, the only thing Oculus had going for it was the fact that it had some exclusive stuff. And once right. you could play Oculus stuff on the Vive unfettered, what was the point of having an Oculus, frankly? Yeah. I, mean, I will say this. Um, I think the Oculus is a little more comfortable to wear than the Vive. Yeah. Uh, I think most people would agree with that. And the touch... Con- I mean, I love the Vive, like, you know, controller things, but the touch controllers are kind of a work of elegance yeah. in how they fit over your hands. Yep. I mean, there's some, some aesthetic uh, qualities of the Oculus Rift that are superior to the Vive, I would say. But yeah, in the, the end... The Vive feels a little more like a prototype. Yeah, the Vive's a little utilitarian. Yeah. The, the Vive feels like something... The Vive feels like something you cludge together in a kind of a steampunk industrial world. Yeah, versus, yeah, you know, for sure. Versus like, oh, it hurts my... Oh, does it hurt your, your, your eyes? Yeah. Is it, <laughs> is, it, is it a little hard on your on your cheekbone ridge? Is it too... We're here, we're here to visit worlds, damn it. You know, it's like... Like, it feels like something you would have strapped on Bruce Willis and 12 Monkeys. You yeah, know, like, yeah. But it gets the job done. Right. Um, the foam smells terrible if you sweat into it. It's like, there's a lot of issues. I'm just, yeah. That's why I said when I got it, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't say spend 700 bucks on this thing. Right. But uh, it's fun. It, but it's it, it It's ain't. still the superior tech. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but again, it's about to get outmoded by whatever they introduce next. Right. I tell you, the instant they introduce one of them with no wires, the wires don't really get in my way. But they are they get they don't get in my way when I'm playing, but they sure get in my way when I'm trying to put it on the desk. Yeah, like, there's wires everywhere on the side of my. Well, that's uh, another thing desk. that was announced. Well, not announced actually. It kind of leaked yesterday. Is that Oculus is working on a $200 wireless standalone mm. HMD 
uh, that's going to work with mobile. So basically, it's going to be a beefed up version kind of, of Gear VR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which no. is, I think, a smart It direction. is. I mean, honestly, that's probably where if Facebook is looking for the VR market, instead of buying Oculus, it probably just should have developed <laughs> yeah. its own that was a little more scaled down. Because you're talking about Facebook. Look, Facebook doesn't really care about the games that much. Like, mm-hmm. that's not why Facebook bought Oculus. It bought Oculus for social networking reasons. And we're starting to see that now. Facebook put out a trailer yesterday kind of showing off the new virtual spaces on Facebook. That's where it's all headed, and that's where this 200 model is going to come into play. They're, they're going to put out this $200 model. The Facebook crowd are the ones who are going to buy the $200 model. The enthusiasts like us probably will still not buy Oculus right. Rift. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've got both ends. You know, I've got the Vive and I've got PlayStation VR. Like, I don't see the point of an, of an Oculus. Is Oculus done, doomed? I hate to ever use the word doom. I don't but think they are if they can find that sweet spot with people that are more in a you know kind of. But does it exist though? That's, well, that's the thing. A good I question. Think. I don't think it does. Not yet. But you could. I th- in in a company like Facebook, though, the 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 prevailing mentality is always going to be, be the idea that you can create that market. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or or has any basis in reality. But like that's the attitude they're going to to use to justify taking it because I think they've lost the high end shot. And they can't compete with PlayStation VR because they're not in the console space. So really, the only place left to go is mobile. Kind of that, the high-end version of... The, the high-end of the low-end. And look, Oculus already does make say. Gear VR. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones who manufacture that. It's not Samsung. So if you want to do like a luxury version of that, I guess there's maybe room there. But it's like, I mean, I don't know. They're the ones that ran the numbers. Like, what, what yeah, yeah. They must think there's something there. But they should have ran the number. I'm sure they ran the numbers before they bought Oculus. And, yeah. I mean, that bet was wrong. It I was, mean, it was, it, was a, it was a poor choice. I mean, I really think that <laughs> Oculus is doomed. Like, I yeah. think it's done. Like, it's I also like, think... I feel like you couldn't have predicted that at the time. Because Oculus really looked like it was kind of, you know, in the forefront. It had that big Kickstarter. Like, that's what everyone was... When talk, people talked about high-end VR, that's what they are talking about, were the Rift dev kits. Everyone, you know, you'd see people, dev, developers on Twitter being, got the new dev, got the dev kit too. Thing, you know, everything was a very, you know, very excited about that. Yeah, that's what they were demoing everything on when you go to E3 in those years. Yeah. Um. So I can see, you know, there there was no reason to think that Oculus would be, you know, the 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 brand, you know, the brand uh, trail trailer, the in, trailblazer. In yeah. I think the problem for Oculus, but any is Sega that, fan can tell you, just getting there first isn't gonna doesn't mean you're gonna be successful. Yeah, and I think the problem for Oculus is like, look, right now it is it's better technology and price the same as PlayStation VR, but you're never going to get away from the fact that you have to have a fairly robust PC to play it. And the fact of the matter is, other than people like us, hardcore gamers, enthusiasts, no one buys PCs anymore. And no one is going to spend $1,000 on a PC. Or I know people are probably already typing in the chat, Oh my god, Shane, I can build a VR machine for 500 Whatever. No one's going to invest that money on something just to play VR. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at it like, well, I could just buy a PlayStation 4 and play a bunch of other stuff that isn't VR that's great and play VR with that and this is good enough for me. Like mm-hmm. I just feel like Oculus <laughs> even with this amazing price cut. I mean $400 for Oculus 7 games, Xbox controller, that's 60-70 right there. Yep. And the touch could, I mean that's a great deal and I don't think it's going to make any freaking yeah, difference. I like initial release costs you're looking that's like $1000. I think their first week of this deal they sell 15-20,000 of them and that's it. Like I, it, 
It's just the it's the odd man out. Oculus is the odd man out at this point, and we can start talking about software and how it still doesn't have a killer app, which is totally true. There's still not a killer app for mm -hmm. Oculus. Um, it's not a look, killer app for anything. VR. VR. No, there is no VR killer app. I mean, I think some people could argue Resident Evil Seven is pretty close. Yeah, but there's nothing that people talk about that say, "Oh, you got to do no. this." It's I mean, like, when you talk about killer app, you're talking I'm about stuff that about like Super, our moms know yeah, about. I'm talking about Super Mario Brothers. Right. I'm talking about the you know the games. Right. That made you say, I have to own that. And my mom at one point did say to me, Shane, what's up with that VR? <laughs> Which <laughs> were her exact words. And But that's all she knew. What's up with those cave fish, man? Right, right. She's just <laughs> like, v I hear VR is this thing. I saw yeah. it on CNN or wherever. Like, I saw this Lawnmower Man movie. and uh, But it's not like Pokemon Go, where right. my mom knew exactly what that was and downloaded it to her phone and messed around with it for two days before she was like, this is too something for me you know it it just it has not managed to hit that critical yeah. mass point and maybe, i just well, oculus i don't see it ever doing it maybe mario kart Is that VR but that's mario? never gonna happen no <laughs> i'm surprised nintendo let that go into an arcade in japan it looks awesome by the way but yeah. But yeah, I mean, I just think that this is Facebook admitting defeat with Oculus Rift. I think it's just at this point, it's kind of like me with the t-shirts. Like, it's mm -hmm. like... Sell what you can, keep the brand alive, like, just get yeah. it out of here. Yeah, it's like, at a certain point with the t-shirts, I'm like, really? Like, I don't <coughs> care if I make any money off of these things. I've got boxes and boxes of them sitting in my back room that I just want to get rid of. Mm. And that is, I think, where Facebook is at with Oculus Rift. It's like, man, like... <laughs> Zuckerberg's just got rifts up to the ceiling in his office. I mean, if they, I'm like, sure there's a warehouse somewhere where they're yeah. just loaded with them. Because Facebook bets big. It thinks it's going to succeed, which in a lot of ways is the right way to go about it. The same reason I order so many shirts. I'm like, people are going to love these. Yeah, if only, gonna buy them. if only Nintendo had that attitude towards Switch production. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. So... I don't know. I think, again, I think it's another case where I wish we had taps loaded up on the TriCaster so we could play taps and Matt and I could stand at attention and bid farewell to the Oculus Rift. But I think this is the clearest sign yet that it's curtains for that thing. I know one thing. If I were working at Oculus Studios, mm -hmm. making exclusive games for Oculus, I would probably start dusting Calling my... Valve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd start... Uh, Updating my resume at the very least, maybe. There's a so. Half-Life project going. Yeah. Have you put it into goggles yet? Yeah, exactly. So, There's your killer app, Half-Life 3. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That would be a killer app. But if you really want to make VR, quote-unquote, happen, yeah. take the plunge and make Half-Life 3 VR, VR exclusive. Yeah. And look, what I People said... People would scream and yell, and then they'd give you $700. They would, yeah. And what look, what I said earlier that... They're going to sell 15,000, 20,000 of these things in the next couple of weeks. I'm talking about the sifters, by the way. The people on Sifted, uh, the really dedicated, the hardcore game. There are people that are going to buy it. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure there'll I mean, be people coming to be like, well, I'm buying it now. If I didn't have any VR stuff, I would probably buy that. Yeah. I mean, and, it's, it's a, the best price you're going to find for any of this yeah. stuff. And that's where it's going to come from. It's going to come from the core gamers. But that <laughs> Oculus needs to go way beyond, like, the right. coorest of the core gamers to make this a success. Uh, after all the money it's spent on it. So, Facebook is not about niche. Nope, it is not. Facebook is that about is not its business. dominance. That's right. Yep. So we shall see. Let's talk next about Castlevania on mm. Netflix. So Matt, you and I know, everyone watching knows, everyone who's going to watch this archive knows that there have really never been a great movie or TV show based around video games. No. 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 Trying to think. Passable at times. Passable. I'll, I'll give you that. Great. I'll Not give you really. that. Great. No. Is this 
The Castlevania anime on Netflix, the first. No. Yeah, you're right. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Why build me up just to tear me Aww. down? <laughs> it's not terrible. No. But it's not well, great. Well, it's far from terrible. I mean, it's way better than terrible, I guess is what yeah. I should say. But it's not fantastic, and it it's... I, look... Like, people who know me know my Netflix show rant by heart at this point. But it's like, I don't know what happens with the original produced Netflix shows where, like, is there a mandate that you have to paste these things like complete dog shit? Like, why in every Netflix show I've ever seen is the middle two ep- middle part of the episodes, whether they're four episodes long like this one or 13 like the Marvel ones or 22, there's this middle section of every single Netflix season where nothing fucking happens no, you're absolutely and right. it's like <laughs> did you not know how long your show was is there a mandate from netflix that everybody has to talk about what they're gonna do before they do it like it's just i think i'll, th- I'll say one thing i think and this show ends by the way at the end of what should have been the end of act one yeah no, you're absolutely story. right yeah like, i think what it is is that netflix and, and i can't really begrudge them for this i think netflix is just pay playing to it's audience. And most, the binge watchers, yeah. basically. Yeah. Most people, and I did this if with... If I keep watching, maybe something will happen. Right. And I did this with Castlevania. <laughs> I watched the whole thing in one sitting. And look, with it's this... Not, no, it's like 93 it's, yeah, minutes or something. Right. I mean, it's not... And that's my biggest complaint about it. Like, you you don't release a season when you have a movie. It's right. like, just put out a movie. Like, why do I have to sit there and, and watch... And it was always planned as a movie. Yeah, it's like, why do I have to sit and watch the clothes in the open every freaking time? Yeah, just know. make one freaking file. Because that's all it was. It was just one movie... And I think Netflix just programs to its audience, which makes sense, really. Maybe, well, maybe. There are considerations later for syndication. Maybe Netflix stuff ends up on other service. I don't know. Yeah, I just don't get... I mean, it's like... I mean, I'm more of, you know, more of a story structure guy and stuff, and I don't understand... You know, this is the same thing that happened with... Uh, you know, and it happens to various degrees here and there. You know, but like even even a show that's like universally praised, like Stranger Things, I think, had a problem where like in the right in the middle there, like episodes six and seven, or was it eight episodes? It's like episodes yeah. five and six or seven there somewhere. Uh, the sheriff sneaks into the secret lab, yeah, and the one kid doubts Eleven's trustworthiness, right? So that in the final episode. The sheriff can sneak back into the lab, right. and the kid can doubt the trustworthiness and be right. It's like they just repeat the same yeah. thing. And in this one, he, you know, the, the Dracula rips stuff up in uh, the first episode, uh, which is the pretty first cool. episode. First episode, is really good. Oh, yeah. First episode, yeah. like, wow, okay. okay oh we yeah. Got when it first here. started, I was like, oh my god, like, are we gonna do this? This or? is gonna be like the best thing ever. And then we spend two episodes of with of Trevor nothing. Belmont. Being a drunken Shinji from, from getting the fucking mech Shinji. It is gets a, is so a, bad. And he just won't fight. He won't yeah. do the thing. And it's like... He's like s- letting people beat and him the weird, up. And just... of course, by the end of the, the fourth episode, he's decided, you know, okay, yeah, I do care and I want to do that. Because everybody... But, it's but like, then he says, I can't, basically cared all along. He cared all along. <laughs> but it's basically like, so your weight, it's this constant... This happens in a lot of these Netflix shows and in general shows now because pacing is a lost art. Where basically, you're waiting for the character to make the make the obvious choice or do the obvious thing you know they're going to do. Right. But at the end, somehow it still feels like it was rushed. Yeah. Like, if, like you know Trevor's going to, like, embrace his heritage and do the, what the Belmont clan does. But, but he already end, has. But, it still feel, but it also still feels, it feels like he never really made that choice. It feels like it just sort of happened. There's no explanation whatsoever for why he acts the way he does. And look, if none. how in the world 
do you make a, a, a Castlevania show and you never, sh I never see a Belmont fight Dracula? I know. Well, here, look, also, look, I don't want to just completely dump on it because ultimately I did enjoy it. Like, I mean, the the heart's in the right place. It is the first the first episode. Not necessarily uh, in the, in the chest cavity. It's yeah, a very yeah. violent show. The first episode is incredible. First episode is great. I really loved it, and there are moments where I'm just like, oh my god, they freaking pegged it. Just like the depiction of Dracula, how he just turns into like. Mm. This demon. And there's little with this things face like, of fire and like there are just some scenes where I'm like, oh my god, my fanboy I'm going to explode. And there's a lot of good like references, you know, even when when he teleports out as the pillar of fire, right. like in yep. all the boss battles. Yep. And, you know, there's a you know, clearly you know, Warren Ellis knows this property, been trying to get this made for something like thirteen years. Yeah. Like this you know, so he's doing it right in general, I think. Was this made in Japan? It was animated in Japan. That's produced a mistake. Here. Um I don't know about that. I, I think but. there it has like the anime stuff in it, like well, the yeah, weird, clearly awkward pauses and like the lines that just seem like they were translated wrong. Well, and, no like, tra there was no translation, right? That's what like, I'm saying. I can't it's understand like, well, why it's the sound editing. There's a lot of edit, weird sound editing and pacing choices that are happening, which may be a kind of a you know a communication problem between the production company and the animation company. You don't know. Uh, this, maybe sometimes there's a language barrier. The main thing is that like the the budget's not high enough on this because you know the action's pretty cool. They've got a lot of cool special effects moments like the Dracula stuff and the sword fights and that kind of thing. But just like the animating of a character walking across walking. a room, it's like you just they like, like just took just the scale mm, 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 and just mm, mm, like. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, look, when it comes to this kind yeah. of thing, like, and and you know, I don't know, if, maybe it's not a fair comparison. I don't know, but when I think about this, I think about the old '90s like OVAs from anime, you know, and I'm I'm thinking about stuff like Macross Plus, Vampire Hunter D, Ninja yeah. Scroll, and all that stuff from. 25 almost 30 years ago looks a hell of a lot better than this it does yeah. and so i know technology has you know some of that's i mean obviously all that's like very hands hand-drawn paints you know, a lot of this is hand-drawn too but it's not hand-drawn on the same level as that stuff and i don't know what the budgets for that are in compared to this but obviously not enough some of the sound design's really good too yeah it's less sound design so they like them i like the music it freaked my wife out she had to leave the room while I was watching, I, I, it was it was uh, shockingly boldly anti-religion in a lot oh, of places. Yeah, like, yeah. like the church is, does not come off well no, it, in this one. <laughs> um, yeah, which I guess is kind of a, a given when you're talking yeah. about uh, it's Dracula. Dracula. Yeah, um, especially in a, in a in a you know because in the world of the Castlevania. Castlevania the ultimate weapon against uh, vampires and monsters has to be a magic whip, not yeah. a cross. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Uh, so well, the other part of it too is that, like, um, you're talking about pacing. It's like they don't really establish <clears throat> enough of the relationship between Dracula and the woman for mm -hmm. you to understand why he flies into this rage. It's like he meets her. He's like, "Oh, you're kind of a cool human being." And then, like, they flash forward like forty years, yeah. and like, all of a sudden, he <laughs> wants to end the world. It's like they're they're there assuming just wasn't a lot, they're assuming you know a lot of Castlevania backstory yeah. in that first episode. Yeah, which most people watching it probably do. Yeah. To be fair, um, yeah, but it's like. It's, that's what I mean when I say like some of it feels rushed and then a bunch. I mean, you probably could have gotten two episodes out of that those two characters' relationship and yeah. the ultimate end of it. Yeah. Uh, whereas instead you just I mean it, it takes almost 10 minutes to get done with a bar fight in the second right. episode and that whole and conversation just, between her and him is just really awkward and poorly written and like because well, it all has to happen in like 5 minutes right and it's like it, all, it, it feels like it wants to get through this because that's the back that's how you have to have the Alucard and you have to have a Lucy yeah shack up with, with Dracula yeah and uh 
I mean, but it's like little things like that. Like I'll, I'll, I'd forgive that if it was paced better and got to its point quicker. Where like you know, the very end of the of the fourth episode, you finally get. I mean, they don't have Grant. It's you know, it's based on Castlevania three. Right. They don't have Grant. Uh, there wasn't room for a pirate and climb on the ceiling. I guess. <laughs> um, and you know, the story's only so packed. There's so right. much going on. Uh, but you get Sypha and Alucard and Trevor and and you know. With Alucard Al- being kind of the big reveal. Yeah, Al- and Alucard season. puts his puts his coat from the cover of something of the night on. He's got his, and they all stand up and they're like. All right, here we go, and I'm just like, that's awesome. But it should have been the end of episode two, yeah. not the end of season one, yeah. because nothing's happened. No, you're absolutely it's right. It's the Halo Five complaint. It's just it's, like, it's, it's just, yeah. it's just a, a giant act one. That said, now they did renew it. It's going to get an eight episode second yep. season, but God knows when that's going to happen. That said, I did enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I had fun. I think all the criticisms we both have are entirely valid. Um, I feel like it still has a lot of hangovers that keep me from watching anime. Like, I, lo- I saw a lot of people on social media being like, you like that Castlevania? Oh, well, you've been making fun of me for, like, an anime all this time. It's like, no, dude. Like, the, the, all the crappy stuff in anime is still in there. And it's like, mm. the, it's the worst part of the show is the stuff, is the hangovers from sort of that, that medium, that genre of, of entertainment. But... You know, just that first episode was good enough for me to come for season two, man. Like, I just... That was just fanboy splooge, that first episode. At least in my opinion, it was. Like, it hit me in all the right places. Like, I was all in. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I was just going to sit down. I'm like, ah, oh, watch the first episode. Go do something. No. Once I saw yeah. that first episode... I just watched the rest. And you're right. Like, it just got worse and worse as I'm it went saying, on. I was going to say, I could very easily compress episodes two through through four into episode two no, right. and gotten to something beyond it and like and i don't know maybe the budget wasn't there to animate all that all you know because every every episode seems to have one kind of centerpiece scene yeah uh, and the rest of it's just people standing around talking um so i don't know what you know and, I, and again i don't associate a lot of what you're talking about here with anime so much as just bad pacing which a lot of anime does have bad pacing because yeah. they can't afford the animation budget um but like you know, I, I, it's, it was disappointing in terms of how close it got to something great, I guess. Yeah. And, like, if you just turn the dials a few places here, you would have had something amazing. Yeah. But instead, it, fell, it, it, fell, it falls victim to a lot of the same problems other Netflix shows and other shows that have pacing problems have. And it also falls victim to a few adaptation decay issues where, like... You're kind of like, well, the the relationship between Dracula and Lisa gets gets you know, kind of rushed through the door, and so you don't really understand. I mean, I get why he's upset, and like all you really need Dracula to, to be is angry, so yeah. fine. But well, there's like, anger, and then there's wanting to end all of humanity. Yeah, I mean, he is a vampire. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, but well, he killed her when he has nothing to eat. True, <laughs> but then he just goes to sleep for a while, right? Forever. Yeah, he just move. To another country, you know. Well, really, he's just destroying this one country. Yeah. You can always just go next door. <laughs> I don't know. Some and of the apparently, scale. people show up all the time asking about science. So, yeah. like, what? Because why wouldn't you walk up to the castle with all the skeletons on stakes and be like, "Hey, do you know about science?" Like, yeah. that's you know, clearly they know. I don't know physics. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Some of the stuff they showed with Dracula, it seemed like it was on a much grander scale than this little Hamlet. It's like he's up in the sky, like the size of the the sun, like as this like spirit or whatever. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a it's kind of implied to be a whole country. Right. Like, was it by the time we're watching the events of two through through four, it's basically uh, 
I think is the last city left. Kind of like <laughs> right, he's, he's right. been rampaging across the country for a while. Game he of, saved game the best for last. Style. Yeah, he he wait, he waited to take out the the city with the most dangerous people last. Yeah, something most people would do they first. All ended up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm excited for season two, uh, despite some of the disappointments. I ultimately did enjoy it and had a good time watching it. The success of it, I think, will uh, hopefully lead to more money for them. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, Warren El- I really like Warren Ellis's writing. For the most part. No, I thought the writing was good. He knows how to pace something, so I don't know what happened here. I, I That's why I keep going back to did they have the budget to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. He's had the plan for, I think he had the plan for three 90-minute movies, and so that would cover, you know, the, the expand season two out to eight episodes is going to cover his whole spectrum, so that hopefully that will give us a complete story. Yeah. Um, and then he, he wants to move on to, like, Simon and, you know, the future timeline, so we'll see. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think it had... The respect, the reverence, and the knowledge of the franchise. Yeah, it was clearly Which made, are three things yeah. that a lot of shoulder content around games does not get yeah. right. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like game, it's just like you know, movie studios and stuff, you know, especially Warner Brothers have that same problem, have always had the same problem with comic books, where like you take that source material and you're sort of like, all right, let's take this idea and make it good enough for movies. Am right. I right, guys? Yeah, and it's yeah. just like, they're not doing that with Castlevania. They're like, yeah. it's Warren Ellis saying like, this is awesome. This is a cool version of the Dracula mythos and we can make a story out of that that doesn't need to be a video game. Right. And, but we're gonna, but he, he acknowledges that the video games, for the most part, got it right. And they're just going to try to adapt that as best they can directly, horizontally over. And I appreciate that because so few video, a so few video game adaptations do that, and b so few video games warrant that kind of adaptation. Right. You know, I mean, like you this can't, is one that does though. You can't. Yeah. I mean, look, you had to add some stuff to make a cartoon out of Pac-Man. Yeah. Let's let's be <laughs> honest. You can't make a you can't make a story out of that. Yeah. But like this one, I w- it's just nice to see somebody at the very least, even if they didn't get it all right, and if they didn't, you know quite nail it all the time there's a respect to the source material there that you don't really get from a lot of video game adaptations so thumbs up yep absolutely all right let's move on to our last topic of episode 94 um we're going to talk about what i talked about in the open which is our annual conversation about video game reviews and critics Hmm. Once a year, we go through this. At least. Somebody yeah. posts a rant and people freak out. Usually right around July when everyone's bored. Yep. <laughs> That's a good point. That? And uh, here we are again. Uh, this YouTuber named Video Game Donkey. 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 Um, he, uh, I guess I should paraphrase this for a lot Actually, of people. I want Donkey. Yeah, so essentially he went on YouTube. I think he's pretty popular. He seems to have... Yeah, he's got some good video. I like, I've seen some of his stuff, and he's usually got some pretty good, yeah. pretty good analysis. He's done great content. Yeah. I've seen some of his stuff that I was like really impressed with. Yeah, he's, I'd, I'd say he's legit. Yeah. In, ter- in terms of like, you know, I don't know about opinion stuff, but right. in, of, of this stuff, but in terms of like looking at a game and saying, here's what I think and here's why I think it, he's really good at that. Yep. And I, I yeah. Like I, he, and that's the thing. When you watch or read a review that you don't agree with as long as the person can explain why they're thinking that way mm-hmm. i'm fine with that um if he actually gets into and that's a, a valuable thing as a, if you're reading a review even if you don't agree with it but they can tell you why they think this and you'd be like okay even if you say i disagree but i don't i disagree because i don't care about that that's not right. how i react to that that's still valuable information it is. that you've gotten from that review the reviewer has still done their job yep agree the reviewer's job is not to make you agree with them the reviewer is to give you more information Yep. So you're seeing actually the video that we're going to talk about right now. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, he mostly went after IGN. 
Yeah, IGN's pretty much the only game in town. Yeah, I mean, who else? Who else is he going to go yeah. after at this point? Um, I mean, you could go after GameSpot, or, but uh, that just seems mean at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you'd think, be going after people. A lot of people that don't work there anymore. Basically. I mean, personally, I think that this video is mean. Period. Um, you haven't got to watch it yet, right? I haven't seen much of it. And I've, I've been, I was aware of this happening, but I never had a chance to sit down and watch any of well, it. Well, you can see what's happening right here is basically what he's doing is he's going into IGN's reviews. He's plucking out all the negative things that they say about a game and then showing their score at the end, which mm -hmm. I think is completely disingenuous and mean-spirited, um, which happens a lot when someone's trying to make a point in a video is that they obviously, you know, he did not provide an analysis of those reviews showing how many positive things that they said about that game um, in that review. He just plucked out the negative things they said about any game. That gets it. It's like, essentially, the way he has set this up is if you give a game a high score, you can't hate anything about it. Because what he did with the, the editing of this is he would list, have, have like three, them saying three things negative about a game and then show the 8.8 .8 or whatever score that they gave it. I can think of three negative things to say about almost anything I would give an 8.8. .8. Exactly. And that's why I think that this is a little bit disingenuous what, what he's mm -hmm. done. Um, and so one of his big arguments in this piece is that essentially a lot of it is complaining about the 7 to 10 scale and how the, the scale isn't filled out and how every game is good and... And his other contention was, how do you know the people that are working, that are reviewing these games? And he was, he was saying how... Ah, uh, the Imagine Babies and God Hand comparison. I was waiting yeah, for that one. Yeah, you know, well, of course it was going to be in there. And his, one of his big complaints is, is that IGN has all these different people, all these freelancers reviewing games for them. So many people that you cannot figure out what each person likes. And therefore... You should like him and other content of his ilk because you know exactly what he thinks about everything. Then he made some point about how he hates turn-based combat and therefore, and people know that about him and therefore, I don't know. I think he said he didn't even review turn-based games or he did once and therefore you mm. should discount his opinion. Like, it doesn't make a ton of sense, to be perfectly honest with you. And, there, and like what happens with a lot of videos like this, there's a lot of selective sort of quote usage and selective pools of footage. And, and ultimately, he just tries to crap all over IGN because IGN has so many people that are reviewing games for it and, and they contradict each other. So he, he would point out how IGN would review a game and give it a good score. And then he would start using clips from their video cast where somebody from IGN said they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Essentially saying what you need to have is a unified voice at a, mass, at a massive publication. And this is something that I did, by the way. At, and I, we did it at X-Play, mm -hmm. even, when I ran editorial there. We, we worked with freelancers. In fact, freelancers did most of the reviews at X-Play. Mm -hmm. Freelancers did probably half of the reviews at GT, and the staff did the other half. I'm guessing it was about 50-50. But one thing I would always do at either place is if a freelancer wrote a review, and it would come in, and I would look at it, and it would fall out of line with another opinion that we provided on something, I would have a conversation with the freelancer. So I would say, look, you gave this game, let's just say you gave this game a nine in graphics. But looking at this game, 
it looks to me worse than this other game we gave a higher score for graphics to. Can you explain why you think the graphics are better? Because I haven't, and you always have to respect the freelancer because I hadn't played the game completely. I may have played parts of it, but maybe there's a part of the game where things just go haywire and it just looks amazing. So we worked on that. We, it was a conscious decision for us to try to keep things consistent because we inevitably knew like, oh my God, you gave a gameplay for this uh, six and then you gave this other game an eight. Like, and, and you know what's going to happen. So we did our best to try to create one overarching sort of editorial voice. At Game Trailers, much like at X-Play, we didn't even list who reviewed the games for us because we were so concerned with having that one unified voice coming out of game trailers so that when you knew, you knew <coughs> game trailers as a publication and not necessarily knew, well, this is reviewed by Bloodworth or this is reviewed by Shane. And you get a little bit of that if you watch Invisible Walls. And that was kind of for the people who really cared about us and wanted to know more about our opinions on something. And that was a minuscule fraction of the people that went to game trailers. Like our reviews would do in our heyday three or four million views in a week. But we go on Invisible Walls, and the person who actually played the game and reviewed the game would come on and talk about their experience playing it, and 100,000 people would watch that. Mm -hmm. So it was more important for us to make sure that for the vast majority of users on game trailers, they were getting a consistent, not just tone, but <coughs> a consistent take. Because it is important. And this is one thing I agree with him about, is you need, there are certain expectations you need to understand. You need to under, understand how the scale works. You need to understand how each part of that scale is, is handled and approached. And you need to understand at least the perspective of the outlet and what they look for in games. So that way you can look at a review and say, hey, these guys don't care that much about story in games. So I'm going to take their reviews. I'm going to take that into consideration when I look at their scores, so to speak. And it gets a little more nebulous because we always had categories at GT and we have categories on Sifted. It's a little easier when you have that because you can say, well, I don't care about story. They gave the story this score and they really docked it. So I can bump up the final score a little bit for me. But when a lot of people are calling for reviews with out scores, which I can understand, and most reviews don't have categories. Like we're one of the few publications left that actually has categories for, for its reviews. So it is harder. If a, if a publication is giving a score and it's not providing categories, that makes it really, really freaking tough. Mm -hmm. Because you're trying to extrapolate like what parts of the game they're giving more weight mm -hmm. to when they're evaluating games. And so I can understand where, yeah, that's kind of messed up. It's like this game is getting this score. You have somebody on your show talking about it. That's fine to me because no one's going to no two people are ever going to be the same. It's like you want different opinions on your staff because it challenges the person who is evaluating the product to consider all angles and all perspectives. But ultimately, there are certain parts of games that you can, I wouldn't say quantify, but well, maybe quantify is the word I'm, I'm trying to use. Like there are, like you can, it's easy to tell for the average person when one, like a B-level game looks worse than a new, the new God of War or the new Uncharted or whatever. And so whenever I ran editorial, I always, our freelancers would send stuff in. Sometimes they were fine and we'd put them up as they were, but sometimes they would stray way outside. Like one of the categories we have was design. And design was basically what features are in the game. 
And so that's something that's completely quantifiable. So that when someone would send me a review for a shooter and they would give it a score higher than we gave like the latest Halo or whatever, but it had half the modes, mm. I would have a conversation with them. And I'd say, hey, like obviously this has way less, less options than this other game that we gave, the, where you're trying to say is lower scored. So if there are less options, share with me how those smaller amount of options are so much better that it should get a better score than this other game that has more options. See, are you following me? Mm. It goes deep. See, that's the thing. Like they, they're trying to, this guy in particular is trying to simplify a very complex problem. It is not easy. It took a lot of work for us. Do I had to make phone calls. I had to call and sit and talk to the freelancers and be like, bro, let's talk about this. And we would never just say, oh, we don't agree with this. We're just going to put the score at whatever we want. We would always have the discussion with the freelancer and get to a point where we both agreed. Um, if the freelancer ever put up a resistance and still was like fighting it at the end, then we would go with the freelancer and we'd say, okay, that's fine. We would know we were going to get heat for it probably, but you can't <coughs> force someone to change their opinion on something. You just can't. So, but 99 out of 100 times, after you have this conversation with the freelancer, they're like, oh, I get it. Like, I obviously didn't even know what you had scored that other game. Like, because they're working for like five, six different publications. They don't know every review that GT had ever published. A lot of it was just education. Us just saying, hey, we gave this other game that obviously has more and better of that this score and so where do you think it relates to that then they'd be like oh you're totally right like i didn't realize you had given this other game like a lower score than that so yeah in relation to that i would give this a five in that category or whatever it's all about the dialogue but it's a lot of work and when you think about ign how many people work there how many freelancers they have you got to be on it and you know maybe it's a case of where they just got to the point where they're just like look we can't it's too. It's it's become impossible for us to rationalize our score across our entire website, and you wouldn't want that anyway. Do you want to say, "Hey, this game is great," your whoever reviewed it, and then go on every podcast and IGN has like five of them, mm. and have everybody on that podcast say, "Hey, this is great." Does that make for good content? Well, people sure do spend a lot of time agreeing with each other on these podcasts. These a days. lot of times they do. Um, and look, there's some things that people are just going to agree on. There's things that mm -hmm. you and I are always going to agree on, period. There's some things that we're always going to butt heads on. Um, but I think expecting a publication to have consistency the size of IGN, mm -hmm. coming from someone who's never, ever worked at a real outlet and does not understand how these places work and the time constraints that they have. These aren't people that get to just sit around and make a YouTube video whenever they got the time to do it. These are people that have all these other things that they do at their jobs that you don't even know about because you've never worked there. You've mm -hmm. never worked at a publication. It's not just sitting around playing video games all day. There's all this other things you're getting, you're getting pulled in here to write this copy for this intro that some talent and there's just a million things swirling around. And so while I agree with some of the things that he has said, I think he is in the exact wrong place to be making this criticism because he's never done it. And the other part of it too is Total Biscuit on his show the next day basically just stood up and just said, go donkey, you're right about everything. And Total Biscuit has also never worked at a, at a real publication. And I also have some history with Total Biscuit in that back in the day, he, already, he has had an ax to grind with traditional journalists from the beginning. 
when he was one of the first big got YouTubers, I mean, he really was like one of the first YouTubers that kind of went big. We would hear all the time from PR people would cause, oh my God, there's this guy, Total Biscuit, he hates you. He hates your, your publication. He hates all traditional games journalism. He calls me every day to bitch about, he's like, oh, they would be like, oh, you put up your review of blah, blah, blah. Today. I didn't even get it yet. And he'd like try to throw his weight around and be like, well, I've got X amount. Like he would send them, like people forwarded me stuff from him. Like he was a maniac at first. Like he would say, oh, well, I just went to Comscore and I got this website's Comscore number and I've got this many. And like, he would go and say, why are you sending this stuff to them and not giving it to me? Mm. He has had an issue with the traditional press for a long time. And I'm sure most people who know him now, and he made, I thought maybe he had kind of gotten over that until I watched his podcast this week and he went right back to it. The same way he was like right at the beginning. All traditional out outlets are trash. There's all this, like, he, he, was, he, he was terrible on that show this week, in all honesty, some of the stuff he was saying. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know anything about it. He's never worked at any outlet. It has always just been him. And he has always thought that whatever he was doing was the right way to do things. Whether it is or not, <coughs> that's an opinion. Everyone has their own take on that. But he speaks from a place of knowledge where he has none, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And Dunkey does the same thing in his video. It's very easy to sit back and say, well, I'm just one guy and I do whatever I want and I do what I want whenever I want. That's not how it works at like video game publications. I guess I just don't understand what the objective is here. For who? Like Donkey or Total Biscuit. Like what do they think is going to happen out of this? I think what we're doing right now, talking about it mm. and talking about them. Because I just, <laughs> like, I mean, in, in the, you know, like when I'm balancing like kind of the arguments back and forth on that, like my, my real honest response as someone who's played games his whole life and has read reviews his whole life is who cares <laughs> like i get what they're saying like you know this is this is you know god hand is a three and this is this how's that compared it's like because two different people wrote it yeah. and you're an adult and you know that that's what happened so contextualize it in your own brain and make your purchase decision based on that and other people's opinions because IGN is not the law of the land well they're like, basically advocating for hive mind right they're basically saying like they're saying well it's, it's the it's the usual if i may be permitted it's the usual nerd thing of there is an answer to everything right right <laughs> and there is no answer to this no, there is right. no there is no so like objective. I said, they're trying to take something that's extremely complicated right. and has all these well, working parts and intricacies well, and trying to make it so simple. But I see, I, I see. I don't. You have a different view on that. Where like you, th you see complications and technical issues and intricacies, and I see it's all a bunch of opinions, and no one's right. ever going to come to a final consensus. So just live with it. Like just. But I don't even think it's that. I think their issues were consistency and how you can like have one game that does the same thing and gets a way lower score but then somebody else goes on your podcast and says actually this game's better than that game and then not having that unified opinion or voice across all your yeah. editorial i mean that's the price you pay for our kind of splintered podcast driven media now i yeah. mean back at g4 we would we would you know everything would be kind of unified like we would you know and and we we had the podcast feedback where sometimes we disagree with with you know the kind of what would go out and there was always some conflict on that because you know if let's say adam or morgan read a review people would assume that was their opinion but it wasn't always their opinion like morgan doesn't like super mario galaxy yeah and she said so on the podcast and everybody freaked out that like we gave it a five and she's like but she didn't like it and it's like yeah because we're making these 
these that was crawl- a problem we always had on that show, though, is that people thought that Adam and Morgan reviewed the right. games. When I think Morgan reviewed one game the whole time I was ever there, and Adam reviewed like five. Adam reviewed a lot. No, he did. He did. He did. No, he didn't. Maybe after I left, he did. He but did. well, once he became literally more when I worked guy. there, he reviewed 3D platformers, mm-hmm. and that was it. He reviewed like the Spyro, the Spyro games. Spyro games, all the Insomniac stuff. All the Insomniac, Insomniac stuff. stuff. And that was it. And Sucker Punch. Yeah. And, um... He literally, I mean, I'm being honest, he reviewed like five games the whole time I was yeah, there. No, he, he did more once he once you left, and he kind of... Well, he got in, more into editorial. He got more into editorial stuff yeah. after that. Yeah, he kind of stepped into uh, the void a little Morgan bit. Morgan did some things. Morgan did some of the Assassin's Creed games. Morgan, every once in a while. But, it was but like, regardless, it, it was always a misconception with that show. But it was always it was a Adam team. and Morgan's opinion. Right. And it wasn't. It was like, the freelancer reviewed it, or you and I reviewed it, and then we bring it in and we talk about it. Mm-hmm. And, like, and anybody who played it would come in and we'd have a discussion about it. To, and look, it was a five-point scale. So yeah. it, it, was it was very rare that a freelancer came in with a review and anyone was like, oh my God, he's insane. Like, mm-hmm. in the worst case scenario, like, it would end up getting moved like one star in one direction or another. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, and there wasn't a lot of concern over was this compared to this or that compared right. to that? Oh, beyond, like, you know, is this better than the last game in the series and do we give it a higher or lower mark in that well, regard? Well, the five-point scale is so freaking easy to score on. Yeah, like, well, mean, that's the point. It's yeah. like, you know, it gives you an idea of what, what somebody thinks. It's But, like, beyond that, it's like you're supposed to listen to what they say or read what they say. Yeah. And, like, the scores was never particularly important to us uh, on that show, especially as the years went on. And it was just like, well... Well, it used to be huge. I mean, the score used to be huge just because of the way Adam would deliver the oh, score yeah, every because time. The, because I mean, that the was the most iconic part of the show, really, was out of five. Certainly early I mean, on. our first E3 banner that we had on the side of the convention center, that mm-hmm. was the joke, basically. Also, because we were one of the only ones using a five-point scale. Yeah. Because yeah, everyone right. everyone else had the hundred-pointer. Yeah. Or the ten-pointer the or whatever. Um, it was, just, but it's just like that thing where it's like, I think it comes from kind of the early days of rating games as sort of a consumer reports thing versus yeah. a criticizing an artistic medium thing, and uh, we've never thrown that off. And so you've got people sitting here thinking that there's, you know, there should be an objective difference between a seven for playability and an eight in playability and it's like that's going to vary from person to person well, and he's how- right and i you know we used to talk back in the day i think we even talked about it when like we were developing x play was that um kind of the ideal situation would be sort of like a show built around the old egm concept which is like you've got a crew you've got a review crew and they're all on camera, people. You know, they're not. It's not like you've got hosts and everybody behind the scenes does it. You've got everybody's on camera. You do interview style. Somebody who reviews a game comes up and has a conversation with the host, and you kind of do the the, the reviews. Either you run the review segment and then bring the reviewer on to talk to them about it. For, you know, in more in depth, or you have the whole review segment is just sort of an interview segment where they talk about the game, like what, what kind of what we do here. Yeah. Um, except there's a score at the end of it. Um, and the idea was that eventually you get to know all these people, and like when you know, when if Roger is reviewing you know this game, you know that he loves JRPGs and he hates shooters. So like you kind of have an idea of wh- who what this you know it's like your friends. You know, the yeah. idea you the personality driven thing. Doug talks what, about that. That's what yeah, it's but that's what, like, I don't because, because that's there's what so YouTube... many writers on IGN. He's like I don't know what they like. Right. And then if you go to their profile page, it's like a but, broken page. And but it was, what we were talking about there was was prescient. In the end, because that's really what YouTube became is a bunch of, you know, they're not all the same team, but they're all personalities that you get to know when you understand, you know, say, you know, Angry Joe, 
and he hates this thing, but you know that it, it presses a couple of his buttons that he automatically hates in general for any game, yeah. you know to take that in consideration. And, and like, I, I, so I get what he's saying here. It's like, you don't get to know these freelancers whose names just po- kind of scroll by on the, on the byline, and you don't know what editorial's philosophy is at IGN to kind of, you know, what are they making their decisions based on, and well, how do they prioritize things? You just don't know. It's kind of a monolithic corporate facade, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that's why we have things other than IGN. Like I don't understand. No, right. I, like, I don't understand why it's a big problem that IGN does it. Well, because they, IGN they... is g- gigantic. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's but... where everyone gets their reviews. I mean, that's the truth. The majority of people who go to buy video games, they watch IGN's review to decide on whether to buy a game. Everybody else who's the majority working in the industry, of people? oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, dude, their traffic is bigger than your brain can even comprehend. I mean, it. All of I don't us, know, I can comprehend quite a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, it's gigantic. Our, all of us, us other publications, like, I have no illusions that, like, our opinion is even in, is anywhere near as important as IGN's. It's just not. I'm sure there are some of the other bigger guys, Polygon or Kotaku, just because of bravado, they think, oh, ours, no, it's not. Like, there is no opinion on video games more important than IGN. So that does not mean that it's more informed or it's a better opinion or a, a well, more well-researched opinion. <coughs> Just literally, the most important opinion on a video game in the industry is IGN's. And All so, right. well, maybe so it, has, it does have a responsibility. Right, but maybe you should have supported some of the other uh, outlets uh, back in the day so they didn't fold because you wouldn't pay for their content and maybe you wouldn't be stuck with one giant monolith. No, you're absolutely as, right. As your corporate review provider. No, you're absolutely I mean, right. I mean, this is the sort of the media in the media situation that like Eating the YouTube, itself, the YouTube yeah, yeah, the the YouTube gen, the, the YouTube phenomenon is created. I you're mean, right. You're they're the last right. ones standing cuz they're the only ones attached to a, a a corporation can absorb the hits and and traffic in the volume required to actually make some kind of revenue out well, of it. Well, they're this. the last ones standing because they have no overhead. Right. They have none. It's just them and their rent. That's it. Mm-hmm. So they don't know what it's like to have to pay all these other departments to like keep your company going marketing and sales and pr and legal and hr like they avoid all of that so it's very easy for them to sit up in an ivory tower and say this is the way you should do things even though they've never worked at any of these places to know how it really works and back to your point earlier about like well how do you know i would watch more video game donkey if he sounded more like that 20s reporter you just didn't impress yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) but back to your point about how i'm playstation how do you know the difference between a seven and an eight and it's, I don't think, in any category. It's not that you do know what the difference is. It's that when you start evaluating games, you create the hierarchy. And then you just rely on comparing each new game to the games that came before. And it doesn't work for every category, obviously. With story, it's like some people like a story. Some people love Metal Gear Story. Some people hate it. I fall it in the hate it camp. Some people love it. But there are certain parts of games that it is very easy to kind of create that one through ten hierarchy using a big collection of other games to as comparison and contrast um but there like i said there are some categories that are a more difficult story obviously music sound i mean there are glitches and audio Mm. issues that you can quantify i'm still in the in the kind of the department of like again who cares like you know what my hierarchy of game scores is my damn shelf like i don't care what ign (laughs) gave something i don't care what what IGN gave this versus this but and whether that matches. But I think it should that should be pretty much most people. Like like it's what what IGN thinks about anything is not nearly as important as what you think about it. 
Right, but a lot of people have to rely on someone else's opinion to figure out whether they want to spend the money on something or not. They don't have... I mean, it's gotten better, obviously, because now there are betas and demos before games come out. It's way better than it used to be. But still, there's a lot of people out there, man, who are trying... Okay, Should but, I buy but, this game or not? So, so are they criticizing whether IGN has fair reviews or, 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 or intelligible reviews? Or are they criticizing that somewhere out there some hypothetical person might compare an 8 in this to a 7 in this and they're cross-referencing two different games on IGN's site and decide to buy the wrong thing? That seems like a really specific problem. Yeah. And I just... I, I think it's more important, like, if you, do you read IGN's reviews and does the score reflect the text and does the text justify or explain the score? Yeah. Good. We're done. Go home. Like, exactly. Like, no, that's, you're exactly right. I mean, look, all this is, and we've fallen into the trap, all this is is a way for Donkey and Total Biscuit to get people talking about them and trying to convince people that instead of going to IGN for their reviews, they should be coming to them. That's all this is. Mm -hmm. And, and I like mean, I I'm said, we've be, fallen I'll be, for the trap a little bit. I'll be bit, honest. But, I watch more YouTube personality reviews than I do any like IGN, I don't remember the last time I watched an IGN. Or I do, I do not. It's not even close. Um, I I don't watch. I wa I don't watch any YouTube reviews. I watch None. Jim Sterling. I watch uh, Donkey when someone links. Him. I read Jim Sterling's reviews, but that's not YouTube. Like I've never seen I him watch, do I a watch, video review. He does Jim Pressions and Jim Quisition. Those stuff. are just let's plays, though. Yeah, but I get his opinion out of it. Like I don't yeah. like reviews are just not. And also, I don't. Care I mean, about I, no, that's I'm, not true. I watch Easy Allies, obviously. That is I, one also, YouTube I, video review I watch. I just like. I don't know. I don't really need reviews. I know what I like. I know what's... You know, well, I, you're I also pretty things. fortunate. You follow things really closely. You work right. here. You get access to games early a lot of the time. People like... I mean, look, I'm the one people ask right. about stuff, so I, I'm not worried about that. But yeah, I, I mean, that's the hard even, part, though. But even remembering back that there are these people who live, like, in my hometown in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, who they have access to none of this. Like, they got to mm. drive 20 minutes to get to, like, the nearest game store. Like... There are oh, millions. Amazon delivers. <laughs> there are millions and millions of people out there who don't have the access that we do, and they rely on. It is IGN. IGN is who they rely on for the review. So I can understand I why they went after IGN because IGN is kind of the linchpin in all this. But I feel like one, there's there are ulterior motives involved. In them going after IGN, I just also feel like the, like the the kind of the basic premise of this seems like really like dismissive of the intelligence level of the average person watching an IGN review. No, you're interview. right. You're absolutely like, right. Like yep. we're not like the idea that every like what, like, the, like the argument like only everyone just sits there slack jawed right. watching their the argument only and works don't if, think for if, themselves. Right. Yeah. If you assume that everyone who isn't as hardcore into games as we are just goes to IGN and assumes that IGN is the gospel truth, and I don't think anybody does that yeah. anymore. Especially and, in media is not exactly the most trusted thing in the world right now. In case you haven't noticed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and like I, those people. I mean, most people I think at least know that. They they can go to Metacritic. I mean, obviously, people know that they can go to Rotten Tomatoes because Rotten Tomatoes is ruining the movie industry. <laughs> it's like a lot of the. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's just again, it's just a cop out. But uh, I like Rotten Tomatoes because I can see all I, I can see all the little like pull quotes and everything. So, yeah. And it's like, have I ever decided like? I don't think I've ever decided like fully not to see a movie or to see a movie based on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, review oh, aggregate I scores. I definitely but I've, have many but I've, times. I've decided whether or not to do it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like That's it, a good point. It, you know, it definitely helps me prioritize things, or it helps me prepare. You yeah. know, like, like you know, the reviews for Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets are coming out, which is a movie I've been looking forward to. And my, my basically, my bar for this was like, please don't suck. And it, it mostly doesn't. Yeah. 
And there, that's all I need. I don't need to know whether you gave it four or five stars or this out of this. I just need to know that, like, yeah, it's all right. Go on in, and if, you want to, if you're interested already, you're going to like it. And it's like, I, there's too much focus in gaming on the number and not enough you're on right. what was said. Yeah, you're right. Which is ironic to me coming from YouTube people because YouTube people are all about what they say. I know. I, I know. never think of scores in relation to YouTube personalities. I always think yeah. of what they have to say. Yeah. And... It's weird, you know. At least, I, I at think, least in my in my cursory like overview of this and your description of Donkey's video, it doesn't sound like that's really his point. No, is that it's not. they should be saying? Because look, I can get behind a criticism that the people writing the professional game reviews maybe should have paid a little more attention in English class. Yeah, because there's not a lot of work being put into the idea of making an argument and justifying your viewpoint and explaining to someone how you came to that viewpoint. Yeah. That is a very, kind of a lost art right now. And it didn't used to be because there used to be people like you and everybody you, you know, used to work with at Games, GameSpot and, and back in the day and Andy Eddy and those guys that started the magazines back then and, and the old EGM crew with Shu and those guys who were like, those guys were trained writers and they knew how to get their point across. And EGM, they got, got their point across in this much space, yep. you know? Yeah. And, it, it, that's just gone now because there's no yeah. there's no standard for that, and I, that bothers me way more than whether or not the scores match up. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if I had to break all this down, to me, both Donkey and Total Biscuit are, I think they're suffering from some kind of an inferiority complex where they feel like they're not getting the access or the respect that they want. And Which is so, funny because the traditional people feel the same way, and like they think the influencers get all the the you know, access and respect now. Well, I think the traditional press are feeling like their territory is getting infringed upon. Mm -hmm. And I think they... And shrinking. I, here's the thing. I think the YouTubers, some of them, at least these two guys, have inferiority complexes. And they feel like they're not... At least they're being portrayed as not being up to scratch because they're not getting the access to the traditional presses still. Mm -hmm. Even after they built these audiences... They're still not going to every event. Yeah. They're seeing IGN get exclusives, and, and that was another thing that Total Biscuit complained about. But it's also like if you want that, which kind was of, totally wrong. But if you want to do that kind of thing, you got to play the ball that you've always said is the reason the games media is corrupt. Yeah. So it's like it's like so you want to be the thing you spent years saying you hated. Yep. Why? Because yeah. you want views. I mean, obviously. yeah. I mean, it's all about them growing their channels. I mean, and it's working. Right. I'm sure both and of them. Exclusive added content and previous stuff is a good way to get them because if no one else can see the thing from this game that didn't come out all yet, you go to see the thing at that, and that's how you get views. I mean, that's the whole point. Yep. And Total Biscuit kind of accused IGN of Paola in his podcast this week. He said, "Oh, you know, you see the review, or you see like an exclusive, <clears throat> and then you see an ad for that game." And he was basically insinuating that. IGN is is paying <coughs> publishers for exclusives. Uh, he, he again, he's yeah, never worked at a not, publication. He has no idea I've, what he's talking about. I've done enough work for IGN to guarantee that is no, not what's happening. Their editorial is very protected from that. What they're trading is placement. So, right. and we did this at GT, and we did it with Game Trailers TV, and that's why we got exclusives every freaking day. We would, if we got an exclusive, we would put it in the main image right at the top of the page. That's what we traded. And if we needed a, re if we got a really big exclusive, we would give them that, plus we would get it in the TV show. And that's all it was. You're not paying anybody no. money for a freaking exclusive. I have exclusive. never in, what, 17 years of doing this heard of that It's happening. insane. It just it, doesn't. That whole segment from Total Biscuit, I was so disappointed in him. Because it reminded me of how he used to be. And I watch his podcast like every week, and I thought and felt... That he had moved past that, and he hadn't. He still was saying 
the same crap that I saw in the emails that those PR people forwarded to me like 10 years ago. I'm mm. not even kidding. It's just like, come on, man. You've, you've been around long enough to know that's a big pile of horse crap, what you're saying right now. So... I don't know what the answer is. I thought the answer was our gaming valves, but people complain about those as well. So I don't know that because there they're is. Too con- they're too conditioned to think of, of you know the scale being what it is. And you, yep. you know, even I look at this stuff where it's like, oh yeah, I really like this game, five point seven. Yeah. Know, and like that's real low, and it's not that that bad if you're using the whole scale on something. But nobody uses the whole scale. So yeah. It's hard, so it's hard look- to get your mind. And also. I've always maintained, and people some, people sometimes look at me funny when I say this, but like game scores in terms of like the percentile thing are heavily influenced by, especially from the EGM, the old EGM days, heavily influenced by the fact that the main audience for games at that time were people our age and younger, and we were all in school. Yeah. So what was the metric we used all the time, you know, to judge things? Grades. Yeah. So anything that fell below seventy percent was a D, yeah. was a failure. Yeah. Was it was the thing you didn't want? Yeah. So inevitably, the seven to ten scale became like the acceptable range because when you were going through school, that's the acceptable grade you yeah. could get without getting in trouble when you got home. So, and we've never moved away from that because because the media that form of the medium, that form of criticism has in my opinion never matured in that or at least never gone through any kind of like renaissance yeah. in that. And I think the closest we've ironically the closest we've gotten is YouTube. And like people have put up these like long form 2-hour analysis videos which are yeah, a little long-winded at places, but there's some stuff they do, some things that they do in those videos that I've seen. But the reason that, why that you could are... you couldn't do in a different medium, yeah. but it has not impacted any other part of the media. No one has ever gone back and said like, "Hey, maybe we should individually like you've done with the game eval." But as a, as a whole, we've never we've never had the game journalism journalism summit yeah, where we've right. all gotten together and said, "Let's fix this." Like yeah. no one's ever done that. Maybe you should. That never happened. No, they never show up. I'd be like, "Who's Shane? Who? <laughs> What's that website? Sifted? Never heard of it." Uh, Why is this old guy calling me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think um, I think probably the the ultimate point was, or for me anyway, is that some of the things that Dunkey was saying make sense and they're right. To me, none of this stuff that Total Biscuit said was mm-hmm. right. He, I don't know what the hell he's thinking. But I think both of them are coming from places where there there there's a conflict of interest in discussing this. One and two, neither one of them know shit about working at a, at a major mm-hmm. publication nothing yeah and they're making in they're they're basically taking all the troll crap that comes from the internet and trying to make it real right i just feel like the i didn't see hear about the total biscuit stuff uh but the donkey's things like, like like i look at that and i'm basically like the base argument i'm just like yeah i mean for the most part you're right like in terms of what you're saying about your observations here but i would say my response to that is like uh it doesn't really matter nearly as much as you think it does yep well, it does to him because he probably added like another three hundred thousand subs after. Well, he yeah, but that's a, that's that's a whole different. <laughs> Which uh, is exactly what his intent was, and yeah. we were talking about it. And he probably just added another twenty from people watching our stream. So we're gonna end it right there. Twenty people, <laughs> or twenty thousand. Twenty thousand, yeah. Well, we got a lot. Not of from us alone. <laughs> I'm saying we just added on to that amount right. of people who probably. I'm mean, sure at least a couple people watching the stream went and and googled or went to YouTube and searched for Dunkey or whatever, and now they subscribed or whatever. So. All right. It's time for our trailer of the week, folks. I know you got some questions. Uh, if you got some questions about Splatoon that I can answer, uh, hit me up with those. If you have any comments or questions about any of the stuff we talked about, about collecting games or about reviews and critics, we'll answer those as well. Uh, our trailer of the week this week 
I think is great. I am a huge fan of the marketing that Bethesda is doing for Wolfenstein 2. You guys all saw it with the uh, debut trailer that was kind of filmed like an 80s TV show. Well, this week, it put out a fake game show. Hmm. Have you watched this yet? Is this the, the German or else thing? Yeah. yeah. Really pushing the envelope with this game, man. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, this is Wolfenstein 2, the new <coughs> Colossus, German or else. German or else is brought to you this evening by Commandant's Kanagvorst. Open a can today. Welcome back to round three. Now is where it gets really exciting on America's number one game show. Okay, hands on your buzzers. Here we go with abstract nouns. A super soldier has great strength. Strength is stärker. Correct. Good children must learn obedience. Obedience is gohorsum. 700 points for Rupert now. Linda better get a move on. The army's power is unstoppable. Power means craft. This fellow knows his German, that's for sure. And this means Übermacht for Rupert. So if he's right again, he wins. Breaking the speed limit is against the law. Speed limit is Geschwindigkeitsübertretung. Shut up, but that's not correct. Rupert? Speed limit is Geschwindigkeitsbegrenzung. Amazing. And that's the end of the round and the end of our game. Congratulations, Rupert. Another thousand marks for you. I'm sorry, Linda, but you lost. Which means you go for four weeks to... Remember, only 173 days left of English. Make sure you're prepared. Have you taken your German lessons? There you come, then. Oh, vielen Dank. So I was saying to Matt while we were watching the trailer that I think Bethesda is going to win some type of marketing award this year. And I said, I uh, guarantee it because the marketing industry loves to give themselves awards. <laughs> Seriously, there's like an awards show for marketing about every three weeks. No, you're right. So there are lots of them. Um, some are more important than others. I, I mean, look, I've been following I think they will. I think they will get a really get long time. I've never seen a campaign like this. Like, best case scenario, you get one live action trailer and it's just trying to recreate the game in the real world. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like this that was a consistent program. So kudos to Bethesda once again. Um, let's see. Lots of questions already. Uh, here's a general one from Justin Horman. Uh, Justin, I think we just sent out your t-shirts, by the way. You should have those any day now. Uh, what are the most popular types of sifted content? I see a lot of podcasts on my sift. Are podcasts one of the most consumed types of content? The most consumed type of content on sifted is video game trailers. And this shouldn't be a surprise because it's also the most prevalent content type in the industry. Uh, so just for raw numbers, it's undoubtedly trailers. Uh, views per piece of content, I would say features. Feature pieces, and I think that speaks to our older mm. audience, our little, a bit more sophisticated audience. Uh, the feature length uh, stuff that we get from Polygon, even though guys, you complain about these sites all the time, but you guys are all reading their stuff from Polygon and Kotaku. 
that stuff, like on a per piece of content basis, undoubtedly does uh, the, the, the most amount of views on Sitsit without a doubt. Um, as a general category, opinion-based stuff, just in general, does the best. Mm. Um, you guys want people's takes, different perspectives, uh, and I totally get that. But yeah, those are the most popular pieces of content on the site. Stan user passes on a message from McWomble, who had to leave the stream, asking, how does it feel to be the second best sifted fantasy football player? Well, <laughs> I, one, I would completely disagree with that assertion. He, he beat me in one game in one season. I've been playing fantasy football for 20 years now, it's been. This year is my 20th year of playing fantasy football. Hmm. And uh, next, I... Next year, your team can drink. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I have a feeling if I were to play in a league every year with McWomble that I would have far more championships than he would have right now. But Ooh. that's all conjecture. And there is a lot of luck in fantasy football. But I will say this. Every league I'm in, I am either the person who's won the most championships or I'm tied with somebody else for the most championships. And I have been in one league for 20 years and another one for 15 and another one for 11. So, hmm. Well, actually, not true in Sifted because we've only had one season and there's only been one winner. So in this case, there is one league where there is, and it's him. Hmm. He's the only owner who's beaten me in any league I've been in. So there you go. Say nothing of the games league. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Thank God that's not fantasy football. Yeah, i got to come up with what I'm going to make you do with anything <laughs> here. I thought about having a day where we just play fighting games all day and I just beat you repeatedly. That could work. I'd actually have fun. I mean, I, I like playing fighting games. Even if I lose, mm. I have fun playing. We could pull out some really weird ones. Yeah. Like, I don't know what I'm doing in either. War gods. Oh, yeah. War gods. <laughs> A whole Nintendo 64 hour. Yeah, because like, uh, all the fighting games on N64 terrible, were terrible. Man. Every last one of them. And I have all of them because I kept them in the collection. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what a good did point. I say? That's a good point. Got them for like four bucks. <laughs> uh, J. Reed Vic 7, uh, with a powerful spec being introduced to the console market in the fall with Xbox One X. Uh, will we see better optimization for games going forward because <clears throat> the closed platform threshold is being raised? On console and PC. Hmm. Hmm. You always that? ask tough questions, man. It's good. It makes me think. Better optimization for games going forward because of the closed platform threshold is being raised. Better um, optimization on what, though? Better optimization on the other means, consoles? I, I think he means maybe in the sense that like you'll have to optimize them better to run on the lower powered consoles and you won't be able to like just target the high power spec on the Xbox One X and sort of forget about the old one. And so like you might get more more optimization. Overall. I think it's gonna go in reverse. I think it's gonna be they're gonna spend less time on the Xbox One X version because it's gonna have yeah. no install base. I think it's just gonna be like uh, you'll have a, like a quick and dirty up res mode or Here something. Here you go, 4K. I mean, that's basically what the Pro is at this point, if, yeah. you're, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Like, there's not yeah. a lot of great support for the Pro. Right? Yeah, I think it's gonna hinder Xbox One X versions. I mean, it's they're still gonna look great. I just think they're not going to look as good as they possibly could because you have these other weaker platforms that have a much bigger opportunity for sales, and they want to make sure that they get those right first. Um, and so I think what you're going to see is, hey, it's running in 4K on Xbox One X. There you go. Um, I don't think we're going to see a lot of extra work beyond that being done on Xbox One X games, unless it just completely explodes or it ends up becoming the leading platform next gen. And then, I, then things could change. But at least out of the gate, I think that's what you're going to see. Uh, Sweet Cheeks Magoo 
I love that uh, name. It says, I feel that YouTubers aren't beholden to anyone or any regulations and therefore can be seen to have less credibility and integrity. Example, CSGO gambling controversy. Would you agree or disagree? Yes. In theory, <laughs> I've been yeah, saying it forever. I, I mean, mean, in theory, I would definitely agree with it. It's like there's nothing preventing any YouTube personality from, you know, doing whatever lying directly to you. I mean, it's like, you know. I've been saying this for forever. Forever. I got in a fight with Andrea Renee on freaking uh, bonus round at GT before when GT was owned by Defy. She could not comprehend that YouTubers are more at risk of doing something nefarious. She just could not. Mm -hmm. She is just like, I just think you're wrong. And well, I was like... Well, even at the base level, okay. of like, if I am if I was at G4 doing something weird in that regard, someone else on the team is probably like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, even that. I mean, the, the, but if you're a one-man show like that... You're, like, not even, gonna... you're not passing anything through anyone. No. And that goes actually back to, like, <laughs> me doing a lot of work by myself on Sifted. It's like, I miss that. I miss passing things through mm -hmm. people because they make things better. And it's not like I'm saying, like, oh, they're all corrupt or they're all, like wrong about things they all are trying to manipulate you it's just like there's no safeguard between that and you so it's something to keep in mind when you watch these guys yeah and again the of course the other thing to keep in mind is like it's video game opinions yeah yeah like exactly. it ain't the end of the world i mean like, i wouldn't go so far as to say that for sure there's more stuff going on with youtubers although evidence has proved that out over yeah. time but it's just that there's, no, just there's that no safety valve there's no there. safety valve there's and there a, is in a traditional there is a higher chance and an easier opportunity for them to do something right. nefarious there's nothing stopping them except their own integrity that's it and you can decide how 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 much weight that holds for you that's the perfect basically. way to put it yep uh what castlevania like <laughs> game would you recommend from Joaquin Dragoon. Castlevania-like? Yeah. Um, not Castlevania? Because if you want Castlevania, just, just go, say, buy it. Go, <laughs> go play something of the night. Um, Dead Cells? Dead, I guess Dead Cells, yeah. Um, I watched, we watched a video. Axiom Verge is more like Metroid. Yeah, I, I'm thinking... But I mean, Metroid is Castlevania, really. I mean, that's sure, why they I call mean, it Metroidvania. Metroid I mean, yeah. it depends which Castlevania. I mean, you want classic Castlevania, which is more of a really hard-as-nails, side-scrolling right. action platformer, or you want, you know, Metroidvania, which is sort of what Ega turned it into with Symphony of the Night going forward. Right. Um, Symphony of the Night and probably... Uh, Order of Ecclesia or Ari of Sorrow are probably your best bets in terms of like those kind of games. Um, there was another. What was it? The 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 Honest Trailers Castlevania that came out last week or the week before this week. It was this week, yeah. Um, they showed a bunch of like indie games that like at the end, and one of them was this. I can't remember what it was called. It was like it's a, it's a Toho game, like the, the yeah that that Japanese kind of you know doujin game kind of yeah. group. It was like this woman in a scarlet coat. It's like called Scarlet something. Uh, scarlet letter? No, it was. It's called. It's like Komajo something Scarlet something, and it's like it's a. I can't. It was free, and it, but it was, it's like a full fledged Castlevania style game with this. With this, I can't remember what it was called. Somebody in the chat might know. Um, I mean, honestly, if you want to find all of them, just go on Sifted and search. Go. Just type Com in Vania, Com and you'll find Pull up a bunch of stuff. Komaju Densetsu Scarlet Symphony. Okay. Uh, look that up, and there's two of them. The first one is the one that they showed in the Honest Trailers one, and that's freeware. And the second one, you play which as a character that is totally not just Alucard as a girl. 
um, that one costs money. But like that's that's something that's like real. I mean, like bloodstained level. Like we are making Castlevania in all but name. Uh, some people here are mentioning Odalis, which is on Steam. That is a uh, uh, a real so old school. It drives a yellow bus with Gothic arch windows, as <laughs> as Akewood would say. Um, it is. Uh, it's a. It's like a. It almost looks like an NES game. It's. It's. Uh, but you're like a like a big dude, slashing monsters. And there are so many. There's a I lot mean, of them. There there's a lot seriously. of them. But the ones that are worth playing are very short list. I don't know about that, man. I mean, I think you that is the with, most successful um, indie genre at this point, as far as quality. Oh, Metroidvania is yeah, but I mean, like classic something that reminds you more of Castlevania than Metroid. That's a harder. You know, like if you're gonna say give me a Metroid game, I might go play Axiom Verge. You know, like that. Yeah. But Castlevania is a harder balance to strike. Um, the other one I would say is uh, La Mulana uh, is faster than Castlevania, but it's it's got a similar philosophy in terms of how much it hates you. Because uh, Castlevania used to be really hard. People forget about that. Which oh, is yeah. also like, like, really, if you want to play a modern Castlevania, go play a Dark Souls game. Yeah. Because that's I mean, what Castlevania is. I mean, a 3D Castlevania, is. for sure. I mean, I think Bloodborne with the, chain, with the sword whip thing, that's, that's as close to modern Castlevania as you're going to get. Yep. A lot better than Castlevania 64. Well, man, we, my Although that game had its charm. <laughs> <laughs> my girlfriend and I were talking about Castlevania 64 last night, how there's like a there's like a whole groundswell of Castlevania 64 apologists all of a sudden. Yeah. It was like, no, Castlevania 64 was probably like, no, no, it wasn't. That game is awful. It's not good. It's it's like it might be the those might be the worst Castlevania games, the 64 games. Like I go back and forth uh, between that and that fighting game on the Wii. No, that was the Castlevania worst. Judgment. Yeah, that was the worst. <laughs> Um, but it's it's definitely down there. It's not a good game, yeah, by any stretch. No matter how much you love Castlevania, no. Uh, happy birthday, Killzone three ten. Hope you're having a good day, buddy. Thanks for spending at least a little bit of it with us. And it's a Friday, man. You're gonna have fun on your birthday. That's great. Uh, Matt makes Shane watch anime from Eric Estrada. I watch. I've watched tons of anime. Literally, I have watched tons and tons mm. of anime. And I haven't watched anime in forever, so I wouldn't know, even know what to make him watch. Yeah. Because anime lost me somewhere around You can't just assume that because someone doesn't like something that they haven't tried it or haven't consumed it. I, gave, I, wanted, I have wanted to love anime <coughs> my entire life. Also, in my opinion, it's been a dark, dark time for anime over the last 15 years or so. Yeah. I mean, I still think the best ones were the ones that were released in, like, the 90s. It shifted. It changed. Evangelion changed it a lot. And I like Evangelion, but I wasn't a fan of what it did. And then Love Hina made the harem anime a big deal, and then I was never into the, the shonen stuff, the, the you know, the Naruto's and the The only th- the thing I like best about Naruto is uh, saying Naruto wrong to piss off Naruto fans. <laughs> was, we did that on X Play for years. On purpose. Yeah. And uh, it was that and the time we had Adam eat the valuable Yu Gi Oh card. Oh, that was, yeah. Those are, yeah, I forgot about those that. Are, I, I spent <laughs> I mean, I spent a couple years thinking up ways to piss off anime fans uh, yeah. on that show, and it worked every time. <laughs> but I loved it back in the day, and I wish there was more stuff of quality for me to watch that didn't involve weird, lowly crap and uh, just endless pacing problems. I, I, want, I so wanted to love Attack on Titan, and after five episodes, it just became every anime. You ever made it again. to five episodes? I made it, whatever the, epi- the episode after the first big fight where they all ended up standing around complaining to each other for one, for a whole episode? I did not make it through the first episode of that. I tried. I literally, I think about 25 minutes in, I just, done. I couldn't mm. do it. I was like, this has all the crap in it that I don't like about anime. And I wanted to. It's like, you live in a city with these walls with these giants that come attack you. It's got to be awesome. 
And I saw it on Netflix. I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm like, I'm going to be sitting here for like four or five hours. Nope. It literally, I wanted to turn it off in like 10 minutes. That's how much I didn't like yeah, it. I like the first couple episodes, but it, it, it becomes standard anime cliches after that. In that case, maybe Castlevania is just like next level shit. Could be. <laughs> like, I can actually watch like... The, the, the anime I still watch is anything Studio Ghibli puts out and anything Makoto Shinkai puts out. Yeah. And it would have been anything Satoshi Kon puts out, but he died. Yeah. Um, Ghibli stuff's great. Yeah, I would agree with that. But Ghibli is just like... Ghibli's a different beast because it's so influenced by Disney that it doesn't yeah. feel... It, it has a classical... It doesn't feel like anime. It has really. a classical feel to it. Yeah. That the, even the bad stuff like Tales of Earthsea still has has something to it. Um, from Sleepy Droid, would it be better if Xbox One X was a new Xbox instead of an upgrade? It is a new Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand what that question means. It's just so funny how people are like, people they're relying on Phil Spencer to tell them, <laughs> yeah. this is a new platform. It's the new, it is a new Xbox. Well, people like, are expecting the generational gap and the generation leap, and it's, I just don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I mean pa- it'll never pa- happen. Pactor even said, again, he's like, PlayStation 5 will be a step, not a leap. It's always going to be, be that, that way. I mean, it's going to be that way till the end of time now. Again, you just gotta game, get used to gamers it. need to stop being obsessed with numbers. Yeah. Like the, like, the five isn't, it doesn't mean it has to be a giant leap. It just has to mean Sony wanted to call it five. Yeah. Uh, Dyson XP, having your own personal score based on your preferences seems like the way forward for reviews. Thank you. You'd think. Uh, should the custom score perhaps maybe feature on the evals themselves? Yes, they absolutely should. Uh, that was a decision that I made uh, before the site launched. Brent was like, do you want to default to the user's score? Or do you want to default to Sifted's average? And I thought for a long time about it, and I thought Sifted's average because it's on our, it has our masthead and it's ours, and so we thought on a page that wasn't sort of on our review, it would make more sense to have your score on the game page. It was a mistake. And yes, it absolutely, I think it should have your score. It should say my score, mm-hmm. uh, and that's something that we're looking to change. At the very so, least, I think you should be able to click something to turn it into your score. Yep. Or well, what we want to change is have my score by default and then have the ability to click and see the average. Mm. So, But yeah, it is something that we want to change. Uh, let's answer a couple more. We're getting up against it here as far as time. <clears throat> Uh, Drunken Elvis, did either of you guys grab a mini SNES? I was lucky enough to grab one. They haven't even gone on sale here yet. Yeah, there's nothing nothing gone up yet. They've sold out everywhere else. We haven't even been able to buy them yet here. No, I don't, I don't expect to get one, really. I'm going to try. I'll try. Like, but I have I alerts don't, set up. I'm going to try, but I do not expect to succeed. Yeah, you're probably I mean, right. You know, I would love to get one, but at the same time, it's like I have everything on it in you know cartridge form. I mean, I could play it. And yeah. Just, it's not for me about playing the games on it. It's just like it's like you have. I just thing. want. It. I mean, I do want to play Star Fox too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, mean, I guess you're that's right. That's crazy. You look at but the. But I sch- think that wrong is out the schedule. there already, though. Yeah, but it's just like you look at the schedule now, and it's like you see the list of things that are coming out, and somewhere in there, where there's a there's SNES. Yeah. On the list, I'm just like, that's crazy. Yeah. Super Nintendo's games coming out in 2017. It is. Uh, but yeah, they haven't gone on sale in the U.S. <laughs> yet, so we can't yeah. even try to buy one yet. Jay Reed, they might have gone on sale while we were here. We missed them all. I've been over. Yeah, that's absolutely hour. true. Yeah. I mean, we would you would miss them if You'd like something know. like that happened. 
Uh, Yabaka PC, did you guys play Hollow Knight? I have not played Hollow Knight. Have you? I have Hollow. I got Hollow Knight in the Steam sale, but the Steam sale was happening while I was out of town, so I have not really caught up on everything I bought yet. Maybe next week we can talk about it then. Um, J Reed Vic Seven asks you, being in sort of a Netflix-like position where you have access to a lot of people's preferences, tastes, and consumption patterns in regards to games, what are some interesting things you've learned? Oh boy, man, I could talk about that for hours. Um, I think the most I think what struck me the most is how people are willing to read a headline, and that's good enough. Because <laughs> mm. we can look at the traffic we get on our page, and then we can see how many people actually clicked on something to get more details. And I think maybe that's a testament to kind of what we're doing, because we take away the clickbait. So... I've talked about this before, but like pretty much every publication, they'll say new screenshots for whatever. And they don't use like one of the new screenshots in the thumbnail. They use like an old one. Uh, they'll say things like uh, price for Xbox One X announced. And then they won't put the price in the headline and we'll put the price in the description. Mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. Like we, we make it so you don't have to do a lot of clicking. Um, but even with that, the fact that people click through to so few pieces of content in relation to how many pieces of content they're actually seeing. So for so many people, just reading the headline and our blurb is more than good enough. So I think that's probably been the most surprising thing to me since uh, we launched Sifted. Hmm. As far as looking at data, there hasn't really been that many surprises because I've always had kind of access to the data anyway, at least roughly, knowing what people were interested in and what they weren't interested in. Um, I think everyone hates esports. That much, I can tell you. Like, esports content gets, like, nothing on Sifted. Um, and we still keep curating it because there are some people that do like it. But relatively speaking, compared to other content, it does nothing. Um, what else would I say? Mobile. No one cares about anything mobile. And it's funny. Um, right last year at Pactor's E3 party, I ran into Ted Price from Insomniac. And uh, like, oh, your site. He's like, I've never seen anything like it. It's really cool. And I'm like, oh, you know, we had, like, back and forth a little bit and I was like look I respect your opinion like what is your number one criticism of the site you know so we can make it better for people <coughs> like you and he said there's not enough mobile content hmm. so and then I told him I'm like it is by far the most the least viewed content on the site it is by far the, the category that's voted down to zero the most when people set up their sifts he's like really mm. so you know he's you know, he's older, and he plays mobile games now. I mean, a lot of the older developers play mobile games, and he's one of them. So, so yeah, uh, just quickly, that's probably, that's probably the stuff. a more attractive proposition working on a mobile game than working on another, yet another epic, sprawling three-year project. Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly for more instant gratification. So, all right. I think we're going to cut it there, folks. We just hit the three-hour mark for Game Face 94. <clears throat> another epic episode for you guys. Uh everyone's having an excellent summer uh stay mm. tuned over the next couple days on the site a new episode of guyf is coming people oh I was it's been a while i was gonna point out uh, i think i said this in the in the comments but uh watching the show while i was gone uh when you have guests on you have to raise this chair oh, no, i know i know or you saying. look like a giant <laughs> next to them because my height I, I have a long torso so like we're the same height roughly yeah but i look way taller than you for sitting in equal chairs i think so i may actually even be like a little bit taller than you maybe but your torso is yeah. like an extra foot longer than mine tiny stumpy little legs yeah and, it's uh, crazy 
And I have really long legs. Yeah, and you remember the time. We're like extremes. Yeah, so I remember. I don't remember what we were doing. I think it was a game draft. But like we had switched seats because yeah, yeah. our names were on opposite Actually, sides. Actually, let's switch seats right now yeah, and show them. Because like we, we had to switch <laughs> chairs because I looked gigantic next to you. <laughs> Hopefully the cord reaches here. It'll make it. So, yeah, so this is basically what it looked like when, like, Brent and Brendan were on. It was, like, this tiny little man speaking to Shane the Giant. Hi. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people, have a little bit of fun at the end of the episode here. Hope you guys have a great weekend. A Guyf is coming. It's been a while since we put one of those out. Excited about that. Uh, we launched a new show this week. We've launched, like, three new shows in the last, like, three weeks. I hope you guys like them. We're working hard here. So, <laughs> everyone have a great weekend. Game Face is up and out. <laughs>